What's up, everyone? We are back after what feels like forever, but it's really just about a week and a half. And we are only doing the teams right now that have already been eliminated, the Delete Eight. So today we are giving you our Cleveland and Detroit offseason previews. Starting with Cleveland, Sam, how did Cleveland do this year? Two teams for the price of one. I hope our listeners are loving that price. Uh, we will start with the Cavs. The Cavs were 19 and 46, which put them 29th in the NBA. So they had a rough go of it this year. Their um, expected win loss was actually only 17, uh, 17.7. So they actually outperformed uh, what they were supposed to. And they were 25th in offense and 29th on defense. So poor in both areas. And they're uh, point differential is negative 7.8, which is also 29th, right in line with their record. They took dead last in the East, and they'll be the number two seed in the lottery behind only the Warriors. You know, Sam, props to you for uh, caring enough to learn all that, all of that about <laughs> Cleveland. <laughs> my, one, my one takeaway was they were bad. <laughs> They, they were indeed bad. It's actually kind of funny. So the Cavs and Warriors played four consecutive finals, right? As recently as 2018 was the last one. And now this year, they're literally the two worst teams in the league. That's <laughs> got to be pretty unprecedented, huh? That is pretty interesting. And uh, the way I can always remember the four years of those finals, those my four years of college. Nice. Yeah. So was that 15 through 18? Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, just a few other notes I have before you jump in on this exciting team. Uh, they turn the ball over way too much. They actually averaged three and a half more than they forced. They're last in the league in turnovers. So they're literally just giving away like four points a game right off the bat just because they don't actually get shots off in those possessions. And... Uh, they do combat this by hitting the offensive glass. They, I think, are top five in offensive rebounding, but they only get, like, one more than their opponent per game, so they don't nearly offset all of those possessions. Um, just, they're not good at offense, and they're also not good at defense. Uh, the only thing I have about their defense, they're slightly unlucky. Team shot a little bit better against them than expected, but if you look at the roster, like, I don't know if they have a plus defender anywhere on paper maybe uh, maybe Dante Exum is probably a plus defender and maybe Tristan Thompson if he's motivated on a certain day but they do not have the horses on defense either which is why they were terrible yeah and um that stat you pulled about offensive rebounding was that a percentage or was that uh just like overall rebounds I think that is a percentage I think they were like fourth or something like oh. that. I have to dig through my notes. Well, well, the only reason I asked was I was going to say, well, I can understand if it was just total number because I'm sure they missed a lot of shots. Yeah, no, okay, so fine. So the offensive rebound rate, they were second in the league. Um, wow, that's um, that's pretty interesting. I wonder that's why. the one. That's the one thing they were good. That's one thing they're good at. So I had to I had to make a note about it. Well, props to you for finding that. Um, what do their books look like right now going into the off season? Yeah, so they are pretty much going to be capped out because Andre Drummond said in a recent podcast or interview, I think, that he was going to pick up his option. So Shocker. unless he, yeah, I know. So he's going to pick up his twenty-eight million dollar option unless he falls asleep or forgets to file the paperwork or whatnot. 
But they, so I project them to be, I mean, certainly over the cap. I can just run through a few of their players. I mean, they have Kevin Love and Andre Drummond, who take off about $60 million just between the two of them. And then they also have Larry Nance Jr., who is a shade under $12 million. Um, Dante Exum, uh, about $9.5 million. Chetty Osman, around eight. And then from there, they have mostly uh, rookie-scale deals with uh, Garland and Sexton at like five and close to seven million a piece. And then some of their more bit players at the bottom of their depth chart. Yeah, and then the hold for Tristan Thompson is going to be around twenty-seven million. Yeah, and then yeah, and then um, Ante Zizek, around like four million. But that's insignificant. Um, and Delhi so- also. Oh, I didn't even put that one on my sheet. <laughs> okay, yeah, his is like $18 million. So, yeah, that's why I skipped them at first. They have yeah. cap holds and two huge ones, but those guys are obviously not going to make anywhere near that. So, uh, they'll be Yeah, um, I just left Thompson on there just because uh, they might end up using his bird rights for a sign-in trade at some point. That's the whole reason he didn't want his buyout, but still yes. don't really see that happening. <laughs> um, but... Accounting for the holds I accounted for, including Thompson's huge one, has them like a real big chunk over. I have them at like 32 million over, and that even puts them over the apron, which would technically mean they can't use their full mid level exception, but they're not going to finish over the apron because of Thompson's situation. So basically, the way I see it is they're looking at their full mid level exception for this offseason. Yeah, that's the same with me. I think I tried to shave it down as far as I possibly could, and I got to like 115 million right on the dot. So they they have really no route to cap space unless, like I said, Drummond forgets to file his paperwork or they made a trade uh, to get rid of him or Love. And then the only other thing I want to say about kind of their not their cap sheet, but their status going forward is their draft assets. So they have all of their own first round picks, which is important for any rebuilding team. They actually have traded their second in the next four four drafts, but then they also have four incoming seconds, uh, Washington, Houston, the Spurs. Most of them are in 2022. And then they are owed one protected first from the Bucks. Uh, it's like top 10 protected in 22, and then top 10 in 23, and top 8 in 2024. So it'll, I mean, hard to say what the Bucks will be that far out, but they have a first rounder likely coming to them uh, in a couple of years. Yeah, I know at some point, um, Kobe Altman, he's definitely had some questionable moves, but he's done a few things that make sense for rebuilding teams in the past, like moving Rodney Hood for two seconds. They uh, took on the Bucks' bad money when they gave up George Hill to get that first. So they have a few few draft assets coming in, but nothing crazy. Um, so do you ha- what do you think they should do this offseason? What should their strategy be? Um, well, they have a lot of needs, um, but I i mean, they don't really have cap space, as we talked about, so I mean, I guess I would be looking to use the MLE on kind of the best player under 27-ish. I think I said that for a previous team, um, but I don't know what, what, what do you, what do you think, <laughs> what do you think their general I mean- strategy should be? Yeah, I, mean, I have a hard time with them. I mean, yeah, I completely agree. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's honestly, like, who knows? Who cares? Like, that they, if they want to be good, which they're probably, they made the move for Drummond. Ironically, they chose Drummond. Detroit chose cap space. 
But um, they chose Drummond, and they have love. Maybe they want to be pushed for the eight seeds. So then what do you do? I guess you use your full mid-level on the best veteran you can. Probably prefer to be a little younger. But, I mean, I don't see any good veteran actually wanting to come. Like, I feel like if they decide to choose that route, they're overpaying. They're probably going to, like, overpaying someone like a GR3 or James Ennis type or something like that, like, on a full mid-level. I mean, if it's one or two years, who cares? Not, not really significant. But, I mean, I guess if you're – if front office is looking to win they can try and just use the like you said mid-level exception on the best player available um if maybe one thing i'll just add that's like uh i guess actually like a conversation point is um maybe you just look to lock down tristan thompson at like a tradable number and like something we've touched on in the past too is how those mediums sometimes overpaid salaries are benefits for trade so maybe you maybe you just give him like two for 30 or something like that just to have that tradable contract for something you're aiming for keep him happy and i mean he is at least an nba level nba rotation level player so maybe that's something you do but i mean yeah there's if we're just talking about looking to get better this offseason there's not and like even if you're looking at just like you said adding someone like the best person under 27 with your mid-level exception i don't really even see any young players coming here unless it's like a minimum slightly above minimum type player that you significantly overpay for so i mean i think it's gonna be a very boring offseason for them yeah i agree with most of those things you just said so if they don't have that much that much optionality this summer like what would you say they just need in general so like i i know that they they can only do so much with nine million dollars and not great trade assets but you know if in a perfect world, if you had some sort of clean slate, like what even should they be aiming to do? So I think your point about Young is definitely the starter. And then looking at the positional needs, I mean, every team can use wings, but this team could definitely use a wing. They need to find out if Sexton or Garland is like, can be a real one or two on a team going forward. Um, that been, that's not something that will happen this offseason anyway. So looking at it from this offseason point of view, yeah, I mean, I guess kind of like what did we talk about some of the other teams, just bridging the gap between being good now and trying to find someone who helps you in the future, like lock down a young player or something. Perf- I'd, like to, uh, I'd like it to be someone on the wing, maybe like 26, 27, who could probably help you win games now. And then if you – Said push for a further timeline could be a part in that too. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think you touched on it like that they need wings. I think that an impact forward would be like a dream scenario for them. They don't really have much of like a two or three that I'm too excited about. Chetty Osman doesn't really get me too excited, even though he's on a team friendly contract for a few years. I don't know that he's like the starting three on a on a even mediocre playoff team in the East. And, I mean, it feels weird to say because they took point guards and back-to-back drafts, but they really need, like, playmaking and passers. They didn't have anybody average even four assists a game last year. I already talked about how they turned the ball over way too much. And they their ISO, as well as their pick-and-roll, like, pull-up percentages were, like, very high this year. They, they don't have a lot of action besides dribble, 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 shoot, and they don't even have that great of players of that. So I really think they need someone who can play make, and 
that's probably not going to be available on the free agent market with only nine million. Uh, maybe they can look for that in the draft, but it's they have kind of a long path forward, in my opinion. Yeah, so I, I guess clear answers. <laughs> yeah, and to add to what I said, uh, one thing I kind of missed was I guess I mean they don't really have any big you see on this roster going forward and. Like there, there should be no rush on it just because of positional scarcity and the fact that, I mean, you should only use significant assets on it if it's going to be a real difference maker. And, I mean, the way this draft looks like, the top two big prospects probably are not – or, I mean, they don't project to be that, so there's no reason to do that there. And, I mean, there's no one who they can get for the mid-level exception to do that anyway. So probably not making any sort of move there this offseason. Um, but to touch on – or do you have anything to say add to that? Not really. It was a slight tangent, so you can yeah. you can ask your question. Okay. Um, I was going to actually go back to something you said, somehow they need a playmaker, and that kind of could get, get us into some interesting theory talk, just looking at the idea, uh, that with, especially with this being a point guard-heavy draft or combo guard-heavy, I mean, sh- if that's the best player available at their position, should they take another point guard this year? And again, this this is without doing too deep of draft research, just kind of just looking at the idea behind it. Yeah, so that I think is a very tough question because I don't know. That just seems to send a very poor message. So, like, are you keeping both Garland and Sexton? Because I just think that that's both very hard to spin like I think it's hard to spin even internally. Like, what do you tell like their those players and those agents? And also, like, how do you make those minutes work out? I know that we're going more and more to like positionless hoops uh, as the years progress. But but man, if you took like another true point guard that was like six one, six two, and their defense was already atrocious, and you're trying to develop those two guys, like my short answer is, I I wouldn't. But if it was, like, a point guard in, like, the Ben Simmons mold, who was, like, obviously he's kind of a one-of-a-kind guy, but even, like, if it was, like, a Ricky Rubio, so, like, someone who's trying to pass first and, like, someone who drives and um, draws in the defense and excels at playmaking and could maybe guard a different position, I would be open to it. But if you're just going to tell me, like, another six foot three or smaller point guard who likes to pull up off the dribble and, and bomb threes then i would probably say no yeah i think you brought up two good points one being internal stuff and then two uh the whole colin sexton darius garland already being two small guards thing um would you keep both of them like what's happening with them and so i think that's the question you have to ask like if you're going to draft one okay are we going to keep both these guys are we going to move one like that's definitely it like that that conversation goes hand in hand with the discussion about if you should draft a point guard. And then to touch back on the other point you made about all the internal stuff, like uh, when I've heard, uh, I've heard other people like discuss this on their podcast and on um, Nate Duncan was talking about undunked on how, like if you're Kobe Altman, like to save your own job, you probably don't draft a point guard just because the optics behind drafting three point guards in a row. And then touching back on what you said about like, how does that, like how do you sell that to your guys and stuff like that? So all of that, all of those angles, it kind of makes it something that's tough to do. But I guess I'll talk – I mean, I don't really have a, that strong of an opinion about if I would or not, but I guess to just touch on uh, some of the reasons why you would do it is, I mean, it sounds crazy to draft a point guard three years in a row, but, 
I mean, just if you don't know that these guys are keepers, there's no reason to build your team around a team that's not good now and just not draft someone because you think you might have someone who might not even end up – who you think is going to be, like, your future that position, but they might not even be in, like, a starter-level player. Like, just that's the whole idea behind drafting best available instead of drafting for fit because you're not really drafting for the current team you have. You're drafting for the future, most and especially for these young teams. So, with that being said, I – I think I would lean probably towards doing it if I would like, like the prospect enough. I wouldn't really care too much about how they fit with Sexton and Garland, but I mean, just all the counterpoints that I talked about, how the optics behind it, I'm probably putting my job at risk by doing this. And just the idea that it's probably, you're probably not going to see the results this year and you might have to move one of your guards you have now. So it's, it's a tough thing to battle, but I think if I'm just looking at the theory the basketball theory behind it, I think I would do it, but then all sorts of other factors that play in, like all all front office decisions. People that think uh, happen, that's things like people don't realize. They're just like all front office decisions. There's so much more going on than just basketball stuff. It's not an easy decision for sure, right? Like if you're playing uh, this on out on a spreadsheet or a fantasy league, you probably don't think twice. You need would take a point guard, but. It's just really hard, uh, like I mentioned earlier, to... I mean, it's hard to envision playing them all three, but I, I do for sure hear you about you don't want to compound bad decisions. So, like, so, so you took Garland and he didn't work out, but then you're also not going to take the best player in 2020. So, like, you're basically yeah. stacking your poor choices on top of one another. But, man, I mean, I, I don't think that the that the that they're completely written off across the league. So if you're going to do that, I really think that you should try to trade one of them, like mostly just for the minutes and for hard to, for it being harder to see their true value. If you have three guys that are all young inexperienced, because that's kind of like another point I wanted to make is about getting what I said earlier, just about getting like the best player available. Like I think that this team is so rough that, it's hard to even know for sure if Garland could be good at certain things because he was just doing a lot of like bombing away and from three and pick and roll. Like I would like to see him try to expand other parts of his game. And if you just have so much monotony with three different guys, I just wouldn't love it. But I, I definitely hear your points about best player available. I just think it's really hard if it's a third one. So I, I would really want to try to trade one of the first two guys and – I don't know. I mean, three-point guards, the Suns tried that, I think, four years ago, and that went pretty hilariously bad. Uh, this year with with um, Sexton and Garland together, they were like a minus 10, uh, which would be the worst in the league. I mean, they were already 29th, so it didn't get that much worse, but they went, they were like two and a half points worse than just their team as a whole. And it, it can be acceptable because they're rookies, but it, it doesn't feel like throwing another small guard in that mix would be all too successful. So, I mean, they're caught between a rock and a hard place for sure. Yeah, I think the Suns like actually tried to like three or four years from like the one year they won like 48 games, didn't make the playoffs. I think they were doing that and like tried to continue it for a few years and just never had success doing it again. Um, yeah, what better way to transition to talk about potentially trading them than that? So, with all that being said, do you have any strong opinions about ways they should pursue trades with those guards? Uh, one thing I'll add to before you get going is looking at Garland and Sexton. Garland 
I don't think is even a conversation because his value is probably at an all-time low. It's just like, I mean, he missed so much of his time in college, jumped in the NBA, didn't start off good, had a few good stretches at the end, but, I mean, he was already an unknown coming into the league. And then just rookie point guards are always going to struggle no matter what. It's kind of like the idea of trading. It, basically, uh, looking at the NFL, like quarterbacks' trade values are basically always the lowest after their rookie years when they aren't good. Like, that same concept goes with Garland. I think his trade value is the lowest it will be. And, I mean, it's better, even if you're not sold on him, I think it's better to just see what he could be or let him up his trade value. So I didn't really consider Garland trades. I think that that's probably smart. He's just at a rock bottom of value. So I don't I don't think that they would get anything respectable for him. So I actually didn't look too hard at trading one of those just because I guess I would lean towards not drafting one. And they're both, I mean, you've only seen one in two years of them. And like you said, Garland is so raw. He barely played in college. He had injuries in the offseason. But I actually looked into Sexton a bit, and I like him a little more than I expected to. Um, so since January 1st, he was just like on fire, basically. He shot 47% from three, which is insane to me. And that was on 150 attempts. So it wasn't just like he was taking like two a game. And like he was up at like 56% uh, E field goal percentage. And but then it's kind of weird. Like, he was just horrible at everything else. Like, he was literally in, like, the second percentile on cleaning the glass for, uh, like, assist ratio for, for among point guards. And then he just rated out horribly on defense. It was, like, worse than the worst team. Like, worse than the Wizards, basically, when he was on the court. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really conflicted by him. But he he showed some offensive skills that I kind of wasn't fully expecting to see. Like, he really did heat up. So I actually didn't look too hard at trading them just because I feel like it's almost like you need a mulligan for Garland um, and Sexton kind of showed out. But I can already predict the, what you're going to say, that you can trade – like, you can look at trading Sexton if you don't actually buy into those last, like, two or three months and uh, maybe other teams raise their eyebrows and would go for it. So – Sounds like you have a couple of trades in mind. I mean, you well, you actually did predict what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say the counter to what you're saying is that Sexton's value is probably at an all-time high, and there's definitely definitely the potential for regression. I mean, probably a real like a very strong potential for regression. But I mean, I it's I'm one of those guys. that's like it's tough for me to believe in like an ugly-looking jumper and the fact that Colin Sexton couldn't shoot in college. And then it just didn't have that pretty of a jumper. I didn't really believe it when he was shooting like really good on long twos and shooting good from three at low volume his rookie year. But I mean, it's kind of hard to not believe he's at least a good shooter at this point. Like those numbers you quoted, and I mean, I remember like going through that was like around the time when I kind of figured out how to like look at all the field goal attempts and stuff like that. So I was kind of like after every like day, I'd kind of go and look at like all the shots a player would take and stuff and. I mean, I was just finding all sorts of Colin Sexton just, like, pulling up off the dribble, hitting threes. And, I mean, it's kind of, like I said, it's kind of hard to believe he can't shoot at this point. Like, I, you kind of have to buy the shot at least that it's good. Maybe Probably not as good as he had been shooting, but, I mean, got to believe that it's at least good. And he's one of those guys that if you ask the casual fan, they'd be like, no, nah, he's, he's a dog. He's a great defender. But, I mean, he's he plays hard. He but, I mean, he's just terrible at it. He, I, yeah, he rated out horribly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he rated out horribly, but, I mean, I guess counter that, always on horrible teams, hasn't had, really had a coach to teach him defense at the NBA level. So maybe the idea behind him is 
on a good team, he can. I mean, a lot of people just say, "Oh, he's a six man." I mean, I don't know. Maybe he can be that a starting two guard on a good team if he's like coexisting on a quality defense and like he learns how to be in the right spots and just apply his effort in the right places. So that's kind of one of those things that's like, if you're betting on your coach, you might want to bet on him a little more. Um, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I don't know what I'd do as Cleveland, though. I don't know if I'd really look to move him or not. Like you, like we were talking earlier, depend on what the draft situation is. And I kind of, I don't know. I just don't know if he has that high value either. So I don't really have anything too, I didn't go too hard about looking for trades for him. I mean, do you have any, you can go ahead. Would you trade him for Paul George? Isn't, yes. isn't that the isn't that the pick that that Cleveland got from from Brooklyn that they were trying to to dangle and oh to improve yeah. when LeBron was still there? <laughs> I think he's the pick that ended up uh, finally coming from Brooklyn. But yeah, I know he was the Brooklyn pick. Um, yeah. I, I can't remember if that's the thing that was supposed to get them Paul George at one point. I don't know. I think it was, but I could be mistaken. But yeah, did you have any trades that you want to float out? Um. Well. I think my trade talk will go pretty quick. So do you have any more theory behind any players you'd want to talk about first? I looked at him a bit. I looked at Garland. I actually think that just you mentioned his jump shot being ugly. I actually think both of their jump shots are not very pretty. They, I don't know. They, like, I also already mentioned it, but they seem to, like, all of their shots that I was watching were, never created there's never a back cut they're never like curling off a screen for a shot they were just all like either dribble 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 every once in a while uh there'd be some spot ups but they they just took so many shots like staring down their defender breaking him down and they they both could get to the hoop a little bit i mean garland was terrible at the rim uh he i think he was like in the bottom 15 percentile those are the only two guys i really looked at that closely and none neither of them were particularly impressive to me i don't know do you have what about kevin porter do you have any porter thoughts or is he kind of just didn't play enough i know he i know he missed some time with injury um one last thought i'll add to the garland sexton discussion then we can move on to porter like you said though how most of their shots like seem that they're all iso created not in like the flow of offense uh, that's another thing you can probably convince yourself that maybe if this was a more normal team with a quality coach uh, just quality infrastructure and things like that like and like they're playing a little bit more normal of NBA offense with better plays around them like that would just make them that much better I mean that's just that's something for discussion um well, I, I would agree with I would agree with that yeah I mean but honestly you don't really know until they're actually in that position who knows yeah. maybe they're you can't it seems like it'd work but you still never know um but to at, talk about Porter uh, one funny thing about that is, like, every player in the NBA with the last name Porter is a Porter Jr. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, Otto Porter Jr., then Michael Porter Jr. What about, uh, what about Bobby Portis? Slightly different. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, I mean, a lot of people are pretty high on Kevin Porter Jr. And from what I saw, I mean, I didn't do too deep of a dive. Like I, But I remember during the season actually being pretty – high on what he uh, was doing. He's definitely got a pretty creative shot-making bag that he can shoot off the dribble, step-back threes. Like, he's got a, definitely some quality skills on that end. 
If he's a two guard, you're probably looking at a decent size, but he's kind of miscast as a three a lot. He probably doesn't have too much of a future there. Just don't really see him being able to guard that position. But, I mean, if you're on a non-elite team, you're probably fine with him playing the three, uh, especially going forward. So, I mean, I think he you can maybe, you maybe make the argument he's well not proven the most because Sexton's shown he can really score. Um, probably you can probably make the, definitely make the argument he proved more than Garland this year. I think. Yeah, probably. I I, don't, I agree with a lot of those things. I haven't seen too much of Porter. Like I looked at him a little bit. He he can shoot a little bit. He looks athletic, which I don't think the Cavs have a ton of like athleticism. Uh, say two through five so he's probably someone that's important to them but just quickly do you have a ranking between Sexton Garland and Porter for like their top assets um it's now it's hard, it's, right? well it's I'm thinking about it how the league would value it and then versus how I value it because or how the Cavs I guess would value it because the Cavs I mean the league probably has isn't gonna have Garland high just because you they might think he's going to be better, but you're still not going to you're, – you're always going to pull the card saying he was very bad this year. So, like, he's just not going to have trade value like that. Like we were talking about earlier, Sexton's coming off a great season offensively, scoring-wise, but not really anything else. So, But, I mean, I think in the long run, you Garland probably is more likely to be able to be a starting point guard on a good team. And then Kevin Porter Jr., I mean, I think he might have, be able to be, like, a starting two guard on a good team. But then, I don't know, maybe average starting point guard, average starting two guard, is that better than uh, six-man gunner type on a good team, which is what Colin Sexton could be? I don't know, man. <laughs> kind of talking myself in circles here. <laughs> no, that's fine. I I think I would have Sexton first, but I could be convinced otherwise. But Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say before I get into like uh, specific trade talks, really quick go over Kevin Love and Andre Drummond. I mean, the way I view it is if they can get any sort of positive value, you do that trade. Yeah, I don't think that that's the case. Maybe they could for Drummond. Um, I was going to ask you, so I mean, you said that they don't have a big man in the future. They have Larry Nance, who is on an okay deal, and he's only he's actually- 20. 20- I was going to say, I feel like he's kind of old. Like, isn't he like 27, 28? Yeah, he's 27. I mean, I don't know. He could play three or four more years. But, yeah, they have a glut of big of big men with Love and Drummond. And I, so I looked more at Love trades, honestly, than the point guard just because uh, the number one thing that I actually have for them that I didn't mention is just they need a plan. They need a direction. Like, what what are yeah. they trying to do? What are they trying to do? And I don't really know what what they're trying to do. I mean, I don't know what the Drummond trade meant. I don't know. They're taking point guards every year. They don't really have any defensive presence. Like, what what are they actually trying to do? Is that, yeah, I mean, I can completely agree with that. <laughs> I mean, what, their offseason moves don't really point. Yeah, their offseason, it doesn't really point to any direction that they're trying to head in. And, I mean, their current roster layout doesn't scream – rebuild or trying to be good is kind of just is what it is so yeah i completely agree they need to just figure out what they're doing and i mean with the roster like this and this current setup i don't expect that to happen until like the course of next season starts happening and they start figuring out what's going on and which one of these guys are keepers yeah for sure um so you said you looked into some kevin love trades yeah, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. I think 
I mean, just in a vacuum, do you think that they have any chance to trade him for a neutral or even slightly negative? So he has three more seasons, 21, 22, 23, at 31 million, 31 million, and then actually declines to 29 million in the in the third season. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any chance this year. that I think they definitely missed out. Like, you look at Portland this year who had, like, um, just – expirings to offer and they turned that down apparently but that was a golden opportunity i think and I mean, maybe in a, a year or two when he's on his it's a lot shorter and there's a team with maybe a bad contract and they're looking to make a one now move you can maybe get like a somewhat positive asset so it's probably worth playing the long game for it at this point but that's only because of past mistakes so i mean yeah i don't really see any current setup this year that gets them neutral to positive value okay well let me just hit you with a few like we don't spend a lot of time on it so what if what about to charlotte for batum who who would have to add assets charlotte I mean, right? Cle- or cleveland <laughs> well I was, you're asking them to take on three more years of that salary i mean but if you're Kobe Altman, you're saying, oh, Kevin Love's an all-star. You need a big man. You have all the cap space in the world. I mean, Charlotte is a team I somewhat considered for Love. Like, I didn't write down any Love trades because, like I said, I didn't really see any possibilities. But Charlotte is a team I thought of because if they're the type of team to try and get a little ahead of their rebuild and maybe make a move. Like, I, know, I think they were in the running for Marc Gasol before he went to Toronto when they still had Kemba. So, I mean, that's the type of – and people talk about Drummond going there too. So that's the type of move I think um, makes sense. And Batum's obviously the perfect salary for matching. But, I mean, I just think there's no way a Charlotte I'd take on three more years. It's like three more years of Batum except an actual player. Yeah, you're probably right. I guess I was viewing it through the lens of the Cavs. And if I'm the Cavs, like – so you're going to give me a dead deadbeat. I mean, Batum was worth nothing this year. He, he barely played. He – was horrible maybe he could be a little bit better next year but you're telling me my all-star center for literally just dead weight so i mean yeah i guess you're just giving him away but you're, you're taking one year of like 29 million or 27 million of of underwater as you would say but i guess love is further i don't know i mean if love is a free agent right now could he get 15 million a year i mean throw throw out the uh, covid and the fact yeah. that like nobody has cap space but what if what if there was like a healthy amount of teams with cap space. I think he could get three for 45 or something? Yeah, I think that's probably pretty reasonable. There's some, a team would probably sell themselves on it because it's, it's probably either that or the mid-level exception. And I think he'd probably end up being able to get a little bit more than that just by probably being a little better than some of the players who would go for that. Yeah. You think he's only like 50 million underwater and Batum is like 25 himself? I don't know. You're you're probably uh, right. But. I mean, it's not even. It's just the idea of two longer, two more years. Or wait, no, so it would be three, right? No, two more years. Okay, so yeah, it's two two years more with Kevin Love. Yeah, I mean, I just I could have. Especially are Charlotte. The, are the Hornets doing anything with that cap space? That's super productive. Maybe. Uh, probably, you can probably find better than taking yeah. on Kevin Love. But I mean, okay. that's the team. That's one of the teams I thought if like if I had to make a deal with Charlotte's team, I would go to because I mean they they could they probably would chase the eight seed. So, so you do it in a heartbeat if the Hornets offered just straight up Batum for Love. Yeah, definitely. 
you're probably right. You're probably right, but man, that's a that's a hard trade to click accept on. But you're you're probably right. Um, what about? So yeah, maybe I was maybe I was valuing Love a little bit too highly. I mean, I still think he's especially for like a bad team. I think he's like a, a good play if you can stay healthy. I don't know. Could he average twenty and eleven on like thirty nine percent threes? Probably right. Well. So he's got, like, the issues that obviously he's going to be a terrible defender wherever he is. And, I mean, how much can he carry an offense? You probably don't want him as your second option for a good team. Like, do you want him – do you even want him as your third option? I mean, probably most, like, non-championship teams, like just normal playoff teams, that's about fine having him as your third option. But then, like, it's a bad – if you're a bad team, why would you trade for him to make him your first or second option? What are you getting out of that? Well, why did the Cavs re-sign him? What did they get out of re-signing him? They thought... I mean, well, I remember the idea behind it was they thought, oh, they made the last year declining. Like, they thought it was a tradable contract because of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I would... The only pushback I would say is that I think some GMs, they wouldn't see him as a positive contract, but they would see him as a positive player. And if you're a bad team going nowhere, I mean, yeah, that's a lot of... Three years is a long time, but obviously trade-off Batum is only two years. Like, I don't know, would the Knicks entertain him? Or they just have such big eyes in free agency that never, ever comes true except for once with Amari? Well, I guess this, I should have looked a little harder at that because the idea I was going to throw out there is like, um, and this, what hurts this idea is the fact that there's not that many bad contracts anymore, but it's like if you're swapping a different bad contract in return for Love, who's on a bad contract, but now you're getting a good player out of it as well, and it's still you're swapping bad contract for bad contract. So maybe you do something around like Julia, like maybe the new management brings in like one good player, then like just to sell the team, they do like a Julius Randle and for Kevin Love type thing. I mean that's honestly that's probably just like fair value straight up. Just thinking about how Cleveland gets a younger player who's like you can at least see if he fits better than uh, New York gets a little bit more of a win now move. So I mean that's kind of that actually seems like pretty solid value I think. Yeah. To the Knicks, yeah, and I mean for the for the Cavs, I think I'd, I'd do that. Just taking uh, getting those years off, and you're swapping them with someone who fits your timeline better. Even though he's probably not a part of that future team, it's still someone. And he's done some things with the ball before. So this type of team where you can let him maybe get his trade value up or something, or just get, give him the ball a little more in Julius Randle. So that's something I'd think about. But I think for the Knicks, it would be dependent on other moves. So like you bring in like. Whether it's through trade or free agency, however you do it, you bring in like one one now type player, then you sell your fan base by swapping like a Randall for Love type deal. Yeah, I mean, I had Portis written down. Even like they picked up his option, and if the Cavs wanted to see Portis for a year, but I mean, it sounds like you just want to get rid of Love at all costs. So they would probably do anything, right? They would do any of these guys. Yeah, I mean, if I could get expiring for love, I would do it. Yeah, like DeRozan. What about DeRozan? Uh, I mean, that's the only reason I probably wouldn't do that is just because maybe if I had plans to reroute him, I'd do it. But the idea of really then we're really taking the ball out of our guard's hands. We're really not figuring out what these young guys are. Yeah, I suppose. So you wouldn't dump him at all costs. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm not dumping him at all costs, but I think 
most likely if I'm getting expirings, it's something I really have to think about. But I guess one of the plus to having him on this team is like you need shooters around young players to see if they're like actually good. Like you need to put them in real offenses to see like if these guys can function in real offenses. So like, he does provide value there. He's a great outlet passer. So I mean, he kind of helps you get into like your transition and stuff like that. So he probably does. Well, other than all his attitude issues that he had this year, he probably does help to find out if he if your young players are good. But I don't know. I was, I was just going to say he gets along so well with the coaches and Colin Sexton that you yeah. just can't let him go. Oh. Yeah, it's right, always well, non-basketball things. Right. What about just one for comedy's sake? What if uh, you could trade him for Wiggins? They're already <laughs> traded for one another. They have two of the worst deals in the league. Honestly, the Cavs would want to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so how, does Wiggins sure. go out? Does Wiggins go out longer, or that, they the probably expire the same year? Don't they? I think they're the same. So you're doing that. You're, I guess you can see if Wiggins has anything more in him, put him in a little more featured role. Because that's what he was in Minnesota. Uh, I mean, slightly cheaper. Probably don't have to deal with the attitude problems. Yeah, I guess that's better for Cleveland. I do it as. Unless there's another deal in place where the team would prefer Wiggins, I guess I'd probably just go on state too. Because I mean, I think he, Kevin Love knows how to win. Like just just boosting the offense that much more. Yeah, he's a defensive hit, but when you have Draymond around him, probably find another solid defender to be your three with some of the assets they have this offseason. Like, I mean, that's gonna be a crazy offense, and he could pass too. Like just having Clay Thompson, Steph Curry run around with another shooter in Love, a passer in Draymond. I mean, that offense would be insane. So. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably do that as Golden State. Nice. I just had to throw that one out because that would be funny. They already got traded for each other, and they yeah, both $30 million contracts that are very undesirable. But those are all the love ideas I really had. Honestly, I mean, I didn't really even expect there to be that many things I'd even consider for the love. So you swayed me a little. <laughs> nice. Did you have anything for Drummond? I mean, it's probably no, a lot of the I... same. There's probably some, a lot of the same deals. Yeah, well, at least with like the the Charlotte or New York, like just like, do you want do you want this guy? But uh, no, I didn't really do any drumming. I just figured they just traded for him. They probably had to know they had to know that he's going to pick up his option. So like, yeah. you think that they at least want to see what they can do with him? I don't. I think that they aren't that interested in trading him. Yeah, I mean, I can put it. They wouldn't have traded for him like if they didn't um, want him at least for one more season. So. Um, yeah, Charlotte's one I wrote down for them, like Batum, plus any sort of like pick or like maybe like a Malik Monk or something like that for Drummond is something. If I, I mean, I don't know. I think because uh, I was gonna say Malik Monk might be make it worth it, but then you got Kevin Porter Jr. already got a few guards who need the ball, and Malik Monk's not a difference maker who deserves minutes over them. You should probably just try out your own young guys, see what they are. So I don't know about overlap. Monk. Yeah, but like maybe at the deadline, let's say Drummond's playing the best basketball of his career, but somehow the Cavs still are out of the uh, eight seed, and you get some form of first round pick from Charlotte. Like, I mean, I highly don't see that. I don't see that being possible at all. You don't see Charlotte having a bad enough pick to where it's worth Drummond, and then being like good enough to where they think they need him. But if you somehow find a way to where you can get like a late first for him, like and just for another expiring deal or something like that, I'd probably do that. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't 
hesitate to move off of him, but I think that they like him better than we do because they traded for him and they want to at least have him give it a go. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at a lot of Sexton trades, and I feel like this has basically been – it's like a lot of very similar deals to basically all the other scoring guards we've looked at so far. But I do have one that's definitely not even close – anything we've talked about actually kind of we've talked about one of the guys before i think and i actually was looking at some drummond stuff too and then i kind of realized that maybe this trade would require both of them it's really weird and honestly like i when i put the two ideas together i thought about it once and i haven't came back to it so this might sound insane so you're kind of you might talk me out of this very quickly but i feel like this is what the people want this is what the people want to hear the spicy trades that we didn't put too much thought into that might make us they, sound like idiots. This is what they came for. Yeah. All right. So, sending Drummond and Sexton to Boston for Gordon Hayward in all three picks this year. Or maybe two picks. I, I don't know. I really struggled with how many picks should be involved, but that's 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 what we're going to go with for now. Drummond and, and Sexton for Hayward, who picked up his option and will expire. Yeah. And three picks. So I guess I'll let you process it, and I'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah. What I'm thinking from Cleveland's side is, so they, like, extended love a few years ago, and then Drummond they traded for. I mean, they would prefer probably to be a six to eight seed. They'd prefer to win now. And I think you're, they're getting the best player in this deal and picks. Um, probably, I mean, not even the worst. Well, yeah, I guess in this situation, he'd be the worst contract. So, and he has the potential to walk. I'd say Colin Sexton is probably the best asset leaving, but not the best player. So, you're getting what I would consider to be the best player. You're shoring up your guard rotation. And the three picks kind of makes it sound a little crazy, but they're all bad versus really, except for like, the, I mean, it's like set, what, like 15 or 16, then. 24 30 it's like one of them's definitely number 30 and then the other two are like 15 and 24 so that's, that makes it a little that makes it not sound quite as crazy and then for boston i mean i'm not even that big of a drumming fan really at all but if anyone's gonna get the best out of them i'd say it's probably brad stevens and though joel Embiid has owned him in the past i mean that's probably i mean i feel like against the Embiid and Giannis types you're better with having drum in play start in those type of games versus Daniel Tice, but I mean, I don't know, probably overall you're better with Tice, but having Drummond for some of those, and then also you're helping to keep the best version of Tice because he has injury issues, so if you look at him playing 20 minutes a game, you're probably looking at the very best version of Tice. Get, you're saving a little money, and then you're picking up another young player who can build with your core for when, Colin, or for when Kimba and Hayward would have aged out. And Sexton is also I mean, Brad Stevens has also been great with small guards. So you put Sexton in there and doesn't have to play quite as much defense in this situation. You're well, I mean he does, but you're not worried about it. But and you're also thinking Brad Stevens probably gets the best out of him. And yeah, I mean these three you, you don't have room for these three picks anyway. Maybe you probably do better than this, but I don't know. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I started to come around a little bit more as you talked about it. But I think from my side, well, just uh, not being crazy in general. I I think for Cleveland, I 
don't love. I mean, kind of. I have to go back to what I said earlier. Like, what is this team trying to do? What's your direction? Because like, I don't know what Gordon Hayward really gets me. Unless am I, am I going to keep him for like the next four seasons? Well, yeah, just, I guess that's one thought I was adding. Like, maybe you do this knowing that he put, he'll maybe like extend like four for eighty or something like that. It's just like you're kind of going to get the tail end of his career, the tail end of his prime on a long term deal after this. Or you, I mean, you at least have the route to do that because you'll have the best opportunity to pay him cap wise. I think it makes the Cavs better, but I think I think for next season only, Boston actually probably doesn't get better. I think I like the playmaking of Hayward. He started to play really well when he was actually healthy, and just positional scarcity. I would rather just run Tice, Robert Williams, Cantor, whoever, than pay Drummond all that money. I know it's only for one year, and I do like getting Sexton. I know Kemba is a little bit older, and he can be exposed on defense. But as we talked about, Sexton is not exactly a boon to your defense. I think for the long term, Boston, I probably like it just to get Sexton there. And I think Gordon Hayward is possibly on his way out. Although, with him and uh, Brad Stevens' relationship, and I don't know, if Boston has success, maybe he resigns there for a lot smaller number. So maybe... I don't know. I don't think I love it for Boston for next season alone because I don't like Drummond all that much. The three first-rounders, it sounds dumb to say out loud, but I actually don't really care about them that much, even if I'm the Cavs. I mean, I would like I like them, but in a weak draft, if two of them are below 24, like it, it's almost like a second-round pick, only worse because it's guaranteed and it's higher salary. So those picks don't exactly excite me this season. So well, I guess Kevin I'm Port- pretty... Kevin Porter Jr. was the 30th pick. That's what you sell yourself on. Yeah, and I don't know that Kevin Porter is uh, turning my franchise around either, but I don't know. I'm pretty lukewarm about it, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll just kind of talk about it a little more general, too. So you're looking at, as Boston, the downside here is if Hayward's able to ex- uh, still perform very well next year. And if he's like able to give you two or three more years and he signs like a team friendly contract going forward, like that'd be the real room for down the downside. Like you said, the picks aren't too significant because they're all basically late first round, except for one. The Celtics have so many players already. Yeah. Like we talked about in their pod. Um, But the upside is what if you get like, I think it's kind of realistic. You get the best versions of Drummond and Sexton in the Boston environment. And there's also the potential for Hayward to fall back or only have like one good year left in his career. Whereas if like, let's say he has one good year left and then after that, he's just kind of an overpaid veteran from that point going forward and Sexton and Drummond, maybe it's not even like top end outcome. It's just like slightly above average outcome. Then maybe you're looking at being a half step worse for the year for next year, but like one step better for the next two or three years. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of – and then for Cleveland, like you said about how they need to pick their direction, I guess this is kind of one thing I touched on in the beginning, operating under the idea that you're getting the best player right now. So maybe Hayward is able to help you get that eight seed a little more and he feels a positional need. Well, I guess that opens up one by losing Drummond. Well, we just have Tristan Thompson, Larry Nance, so probably yeah. doesn't really open one up too much. Um, but then four draft picks this year also uh, coming there from the three they'd be gaining. Uh, there's so much to talk about this. We said about this so far. Was there like a team? Which team did you like uh, dislike it more for? 
Well, I think I just liked it for Boston in next season alone, probably the most. And just, I mean, I can see it from the Cavs. I just, I guess I don't know what they're trying to do. I kind of feel like Hayward is a little bit goofy with them maybe rebuilding, but I don't know. Are they? They have Drummond and Lowe on their team, so maybe they're not rebuilding. But ultimately, I think Boston will probably be fine long term. That maybe made them better, but I don't, I don't know about next season. Yeah, I think Boston's long-term, I mean, definitely gets better. And then Cleveland. The thing with Cleveland, though, I think there's potential for their short-term and long-term to be better if the Hayward fit is good and he is still good and interested in staying. And then also you're adding all those picks where you're probably at least going to get a good player out of one of those. Uh, But, yeah, that's a lot to talk about there. Um, I I don't hate it. It's definitely... Out there, I don't know. We'll post it to Twitter. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how much everyone hates it then, okay. <laughs> from both sides. Um, yeah. So we'll, I'm just gonna fly through the rest. Like we really don't need to spend too much time on this. Uh, just because honestly, this is pretty repetitive from what I've done in the past. Just looking at the scoring cards, teams that could use them, like the Lakers, Philly. No Ben Simmons trade this time, but um. Uh, so one, the only other one, like. Honestly, I think I'll even read it out was what if the Lakers did Kuzma, Taylor Horton Tucker, and their first for Colin Sexton and Chetty Osmond. The idea behind that being Chetty is LeBron's guy and they could just – and he, I mean, he's he has some holes, but he's was still a shooter at the end of the day and they could use another wing. And then the Lakers, I feel, desperately need another guard and I don't think Kyle Kuzma has any fit on that team. So – Swapping, swapping someone out for probably getting, I mean, I think Sexton's a better player anyway, so you're getting the best player, better fit, and just picking up another wing shooter and LeBron's guy. Love it from the Lakers' perspective. I don't know if the Cavs would sign off on it, but I I mean, you lose a, lose a point guard for a decent small forward of the future, maybe un, unclog the uh, point guard glut, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I love it from the Lakers, but I don't know if the Cavs would do it. Um, and this is that's coming from someone who was pretty high on Taylor Horton Tucker too. So that's part of that'd be part of the motivation for it. Like I thought, I really bought into his tools in college. He's like six four, and uh, as a guard, had like some real shot make shot making ability. I think there's some potential there for him to be able to where he can knock. To, and he was shooting like step back NBA range threes, like basically his whole time in college. So, and he was like super young. And I think he had a pretty good G League year this year. So that's um, someone who's kind of high in him. So, I mean, at least as an NBA player. So that's kind of part of my thought behind it. Like uh, Kuzma at first, sure, that's decent. But also getting someone who I think is an NBA player and super young out of it too. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have for trade talk for them. Okay. So say Philly has a bad year. No, I'm just kidding. I was gonna rope another <laughs> another Simmons deal in, but I don't, well, we did talk a little bit offline about Tristan Thompson trades. Did we? Did you have any of those materialize or not so much? Nothing really materialized, but the theory I think is still there. Kind of like what I talked about in the beginning, how a team might want to use Cleveland might use his bird rights to sign and trade him, and that's kind of. I mean, there's probably a few teams who that makes sense for, but I didn't look into that too hard. Okay. I mean, I I just grabbed a few teams. Like maybe the Clippers would be interested yeah. in an energy big. I think you can do it for McGruder and Cubbing Gelly. I think I butchered his name. Um, maybe even 
maybe even the Pelicans if they lost favors and they just wanted another big body to kind of put next to Zion. I think they could do it for Darius Miller if they pick up his option. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few like you. It'd have to be a good a good team, right? Or a team that saw itself as good to yeah. The, and and that was capped out if uh, if they wanted to work out a sign and trade, but and it basically. Wouldn't it need to be a team that doesn't have their full mid-level exception? Because, I mean, well, that's, I mean, just assuming that, like, uh, he's not really going to get more than that anyway. Yeah, well, I guess under this, he would get, like, $12 million or something from the Cavs. Like, that's kind of how you could make it work as okay. the other. Like, that's how the Clippers could be able to acquire him over another team with only the mid-level. Like, you get him to re-sign with the Cavs and then um, take him in as a trade, sign-in trade, but. Yeah, yeah, that, that does definitely make sense. I thought I thought about it, but I just never ended up um, figuring out which teams I thought would be a possibility for that. Okay. Yeah, that's all I had. Just okay. You want to fly through free agency then? Sure. I'll just give you what I have. So I have a lot of guys we've talked about before because I like these guys. Uh, my idea was to get kind of with your full MLE, you could get a a youngish player um, that's good, <laughs> trying to just acquire talent. So I have yeah. KCP, probably will have better teams as suitors for him, probably even over the MLE. Um, Chris Dunn I have. I know they have a million point guards, but they can't play defense whatsoever, and I think he yeah. can maybe attack the rim a little bit better than their point guards currently, and he might actually be someone they could steal away. If you uh, did like the four years, Emily, I had GR3, who you brought up earlier briefly. Um, just trying to hunt like a small forward, Derek Jones Jr. Um, I had Dario Saric, maybe even. Yeah, I, I mean, those are I a would... lot of the guys we like mentioned on other podcasts or teams we're working with that. And some of uh, most of them I just didn't even put down just because I think there's going to be better situation offers. I feel like we're looking at since, I mean, we've kind of have a pretty good understanding of who we at least think is like mid-level exception type players. So like yeah. most of those guys, I was like, okay, they're not going to want to come to Cleveland. Um, so yeah, like all those guys definitely agree with, I think would be great fits and stuff and team people. I, I guess you'd make the call on, but I just see them having better offers like uh, from some of the other teams we've already discussed. Yeah. Maybe slightly more realistically of just a couple guys that are lower, like maybe Denzel Valentine, you could give an offer to like he yeah, been hurt a lot. Shooter, small forward that you could maybe dream on being like a seventh man on a decent team in Cleveland. Um, and then like, I don't know, Wayne Ellington, grab another shooter, a wing and I don't know, DeAndre Bembry. Yeah. Some guys that are, maybe are actually acquirable. Yes. I was like, that's kind of the mindset I operated under. Like, um, looking at people, the young guys who we've talked, kind of like um, people we've talked about before who are youngish and would be worth would be worth the flyers in some of these teams. So I kind of looked at the guys who probably are looking at closer to tax player payer mid-level or even minimums and I looked at those type of guys to like throwing them like a few a good chunk of your MLE just to get if you think they're worth it and like it's kind of just the idea of overpaying them a little bit or whichever one you would pick or end up getting. And the guys I looked at were Harry Giles, Josh Jackson, uh, Lancho Hernan Gomez, and then Furkan Korkmaz. I think 
look at the wings, maybe get one of those for six, seven million a year. Because I mean, I don't see them having too much more than the uh, the minimum or the mid level, the taxpayer mid level exception. So if you throw them like a year or two of six or seven million, then maybe you'd be able to get to, uh, check them out for a year and. They kind of fit that category of what we were talking about, how maybe they could actually be a long-term player as well, but still kind of help win now. And then two other guys I put who are kind of like that, but a little bit older, Langston Galloway and Brent Forbes, and they kind of just go back towards the idea of, of that. Like, Cleveland clearly wanted to win some games this year by trading for Drummond, so that's kind of what we talked about. Like, don't really – they don't have a clear direction, but, like, it looks like they wanted to win some. So if you're following that mindset, get some and getting some shooters to help evaluate your young guys, and just you always need shooters. So I think Galloway and Forbes would also be decent fits. Yeah, I'm on board with all that. I had Josh Jackson written down, but I didn't want to say it because I say it every time. Yeah, definitely would like Jackson there. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, that's all I have for Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, do we want to quickly say what we think they will do? I know you said it'll probably be pretty quiet. I think that they will probably use their MLE um, at one of these guys that we just mentioned. Um, I don't think they'll draft a point guard. Maybe I'll go out on a limb and say that. Maybe maybe you differ in that now, regard. But. I mean, like kind of how we talked about the internal stuff, like I just don't see them trying to sell to their guys, draft another point guard, and I don't see Kobe Altman thinking that's the best route for job security. So I would guess they don't draft a point guard. Maybe they trade back. I mean, I don't think. I don't see too many people trying to trade up in this draft, and trading back is almost always the better route, and people probably start to learn that a little more, too. So I don't think anyone really tries to trade up, especially in this draft, but maybe if you trade back to, like, 14 and take a flyer on one of these other guys, like, I mean, there's so many point guards in this draft, and, like, you look at point guards, like, 3 through 8, like, you ask someone, like, you ask 10 different people, probably in 10 different orders of how good they are, so... I mean, I think that's a fine offer if you trade back, get some other form of asset, but I don't think they will. I would guess that they just, whatever pick they get, they probably take the best forward or big available. And then, yeah. If they get the first pick, that'll be pretty interesting, considering like Lamelo and Anthony Edwards are kind of the top two guys. It'll be pretty interesting to see what they do. Yeah. Yeah, I... I think that they'll take the best player that isn't a point guard, basically. Although they have a kind of a lot of big guys, but like you said, none none really long term and none that you're so excited about that can't be moved around. So Yeah, and I don't um, really I, think they'll use their MLE. I honestly think they'll just probably not want to pay that money. Uh they may use some of it though, right? Like they could use Yeah, it maybe to like four or five million on one player, but I don't see them doing anything crazy. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, that's all I got for Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, they're exciting. I think we'll get to our questions after uh, after we round out the, the two-for-one special with the Pistons. Yep. All right, so we are on to Detroit now after the very exciting Cavs offseason. How'd they do this year? Detroit was 20-46. and 46. Uh, They were 21st in offense. 23rd on defense, and they are the fifth seed in the lottery. Um, gives them about a 10.5% chance of winning the lottery. And I probably won't go too deep on all of their stats because I'm not sure how representative it actually is of their team going forward. But 
I did uh, run out the ground ball, and I didn't find anything super noteworthy. They were like 20th to 25th in almost everything. They were just kind of like solidly below average uh, across the board when pretty much look at it from any direction. Yeah, the not really that representative of a season for them this year. Right. They also, I mean, they actually won five more games than or five less games than uh, their expected win-loss, so maybe they will get lucky in the lottery because of that. Um, kind of underperformed their point differential because they weren't as bad as some of these other teams we're talking about, but they were nothing to write home about. Yeah, the only real comment I have on their season is the fact that, like, I kind of, it kind of sucks they weren't healthy because they had role players give some pretty good performances. Like Langston Galloway had a very good shooting year. Uh, Markeith Morris was shooting pretty good. Derek Rose was great. Like their role players actually had good years. So if they would have had Blake Griffin and Luke Kennard for full seasons, I think I actually could have been like pushed for the eight seed or maybe even better than that. Yeah, and uh, Tony Snell also had a pretty good year as a role player, uh, the one guy you didn't mention. But, yeah, just to slightly elaborate on why we don't think this year is too indicative of the future. I mean, Andre Drummond, obviously, they traded. Luke Kennard only played 25 of their 66 games, and Blake Griffin only played 18. So, I mean, that's kind of like probably their three best players. And they also uh, got rid of Reggie Jackson, their starting point guard. So they kind of got rid of all of their best, their most important players, and I think we're going to see pretty different product next season. So probably not worth it to spend too much time dwelling on this year. Yeah, and one guy I actually forgot to mention too, Christian Wood. Like everyone obviously knows how good he was this year. Like out of nowhere, I mean, really just compared to expectations, he's someone who struggled to make NBA roster, and then he was a pretty legit player this year. Uh, but yeah, I'll just kind of fly through what their books look like right now. Obviously, Blake Griffin's under contract for his uh, huge deal around like $36 million and increases a little the year after that. Tony Snell is expiring this year at a decent figure. And then you have your cap hold for Langston Galloway, which they may or may not hold. I mean, you'll kind of probably only renounce it if they need to. But he's around $13 million that uh, he'll count against the books. And Derek Rose, $7 million. And basically, Luke Kennard, Sekou Demboya, are on their rookie scale is pretty small. Thonmaker has a hold around ten million, and then all of their like minimum. Uh, Christian Wood has a which is actually pretty important. His cap hold is on the ground like one point seven million, so they'll be able to do whatever they want this off season, and then they can sign him to his deal after they finish making their moves because he only counts at one point seven until he signs his deal, and then like all of their uh, young guys like Svi. Bruce Brown, Kyrie Thomas, Jordan McRae. Well, he's not even really young, but they're all around minimums for either non-guarantees or cap holds. Yeah, and you should say, so that puts them with a lot of cap room. They're one of the few teams with cap space this summer, this fall. Gotta get used to saying this fall. Um, and the interesting thing that kind of makes them connect to Cleveland this offseason is the fact that they're, the trade they made was Cleveland choosing Andre Drummond because they originally had cap space, but they ate his $28 million for next year. And then Detroit choosing cap space because they originally did not have cap space. So it's kind of the perfect two people to do together um, because of how connected their off-seasons were. And yeah, now Detroit has cap space. They have the freedom to make some moves. Their books are super clean going into 2021, too. Uh, well, that Luke Kennard will have a hold for like $15 million or so, and then depending on who you resign and stuff like that and what Christian would, if you keep him, what he goes for, that 
we'll eat into that some, but other than that, their books are fairly clean going into 21 as well. Oh, besides Blake Griffin, right? He has a player option. Well, I mean, yeah, he has that huge player option, but like still accounting for that before you account for any of the potential holds, like they're uh, looking at some decent space because it's really just like uh, minimums and yeah stuff like that. Right. All right, and then the only other piece that I want to mention is just they have all their first-round picks going forward. They actually owe out three second-rounders, and but they have two coming back to them. So slightly... I said poor in the second round, but they have uh, they have all their first, which is important for a mediocre to bad team. Yep. So I think we can get right into what do you think they their team needs? So the first thing I have is to re-sign Christian Wood because I, I know it's a little specific, but they feel like they unearthed a gem this year. He bounced around to what? He's been on like four or five teams already, and somehow like all of them kind of said thanks but no thanks to him, which is pretty interesting. And I think for Detroit to find him, it's like it's a little positive momentum for both their front office and their fans. And I, well, I like their, him a lot. Their current front office didn't make that call. Uh, they okay. just brought in the two new guys. <laughs> That's true. The generic Detroit They're, front office. Uh, well, yeah, they actually didn't even have a GM until just now. They went like two years without an official GM, but yeah. <laughs> well, whoever made the decision to bring him in, congratulations. Um, and then well, I also... <laughs> one quick thing, it's just a funny topic. It's still so wild. They almost chose Joe Johnson over him, too. They almost said... Uh, they almost didn't want Christian Wood as well. Like it was between him and Joe Johnson for the last roster spot, and that's just that's one of the storylines you forget even happened for this season after everything that's happened the last year. Yeah, I mean, at first blush, it sounds insane, right? But is it insane because all these other teams already gave up on Wood, also? So it's like yeah. I don't know, just a token vet that can play a few minutes, or some guy who is probably going to be a washout. Like it maybe wasn't a slam dunk uh, eight or nine months ago to make yeah. uh, the call to keep Wood. But yeah, so yeah. their needs. Uh, then I also have, um, like, they need a small forward who can defend and hit shots and be good at basketball, basically. And then I have, like, a point guard of the future. So Derek Rose is probably not the long-term answer. I think he's uh, coming up on 32 years old. And obviously they got rid of Reggie Jackson. And honestly, they don't. I mean, I don't really know what else they have on the roster. I mean, they have Bruce Brown, who's kind of played a little bit of one this year. But... Uh, they could use a point guard of the future. And then I just have to develop some of the young guys. So Sekou, I think, was the youngest player in the NBA this year, at least the youngest guy drafted last season. And he did not actually play all that much. I think he only play, he played under 20 minutes a game, which is a little bit surprising for a team that is as bad as the Pistons were, uh, only, only won 20 games. So I guess develop Sekou and Browner speed to a lesser extent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Completely agree. I think uh, Svee's great shooter, can pass the ball a little, has got size, probably has some potential. Bruce Brown, he's shown some things. Um, yeah, obviously, kind of just like every young rebuilding team seems like they need competent wings. And I mean, yeah, I agree with everything you said, so I'll kind of get straight into what I think their strategy should be. And Believe it or not, I it, they actually within a very similar position to Cleveland, but I think I actually there's like some a logical route I see for them this offseason. and that's kind of just the idea of using cap space and assets to try to get better this or not really assets, just using your cap space to try to get better 
because I mean I think you still have Blake Griffin, you still have Derek Rose, you might and you have all this cap space. There's the potential to work. I mean, it's not even that crazy to have a setup to where you're pretty good next year. So I think the idea behind them is this year or this offseason is you try to get better, and then if it doesn't work, well, that's okay because you're already tanking, and then you can uh, you can trade some of those assets. You can have a fire set the deadline, like try and get some positive value for Derrick Rose. And I mean, if it works, then you're a solid team. You're fighting for the playoffs, which is what they probably want. Right. So mostly your strategy would be to get better and just see where the chips fall. Because if, if it doesn't work, yeah, fine. you're in the like, lottery and you need more assets anyway. Yeah, like out of, out of the other rebuilding teams we talked about, like I think this is the one I'd be I'm uh, I'd be the most aggressive as, just because like, you have a few pieces already in place and. If you get better, then you you could be in the playoffs, and if not, you're right where you want to be anyway. So, no, I think that's a really good point. I also think that they should try to use it to get better. I wouldn't be trying to completely press the reset button, or I wouldn't be trying to win like 14 games next year by any means. Like you said, Blake Griffin, uh, two years ago, he was like really good. I think he was like top like 10 to 15 in some uh, in some metrics, and he kind of led him to the playoffs with kind of a very yeah, mediocre cast. All-NBA, too. Yeah, All-NBA. So I think Blake Griffin is probably better than most people think at this moment. I know he's a big name, but it's like he's kind of toiling away in Detroit, and he's getting older, and he's always hurt. But I think if he's on the court, he gives him a decent chance, especially in the East. Like, they could easily be the 7-10 to 10 seed or whatever. They could at least be fighting for the playoffs. Like you said, Derek Rose. Uh, and if they bring back Bring back Christian Wood. Like, I, I like the outline of, of their depth chart, like, a lot better than these other uh, crappy East teams that we've gone over. And I think we'll probably get into them later, but I actually think Kennard is a bright spot as well. So, really, that's why I mentioned small forward. I don't think they really have anything. Like, Tony Snell, sure, can fill some minutes at the wing. And Sekou, I just think he's too young, and he might be more of, like, a four-ish anyway. But... Yeah, I'd be trying to get better free agency. I mean, they could also just take on uh, somebody in a trade who maybe makes too much money. So I, I don't usually like telling uh, teams to try to be average or to try to float around in like the five to nine seed range. But I think for Detroit, for some of the reasons you touched on, it, it just makes sense. Uh, yeah, and like then factor in the fact that their role players, basically all of them had pretty good years. Uh, Obviously, that means there are big, uh, big chance for regression there. But maybe it's, I mean, it's not like they did anything that crazy. Just had like good shooting seasons and just kind of did what they, like a higher end outcome of what they're possible, uh, what they could be capable of. So, if you get close to the All NBA third version of Blake, which probably is a little too much to ask for, but I mean, maybe you get like borderline All Star level Blake. And then Derrick Rose repeats the same type of year, make one or two good moves in free agency, looking at the playoffs. And then if not, you still have the option of um, completely stripping it down. Derrick Rose, assuming since I think this is the second year in a row he's been legit, like assuming he doesn't fall off again, probably get a first-round pick for him or quality seconds and a young player or something like that. Maybe some of the guys you signed, you signed them to one-year deals because that's 
I mean, I feel that's pretty logical. That'd be a pretty smart thing to do, kind of since you're in an evaluate and see type of role and like your best players are aging. So maybe you sign some guys to one-year deals that you're able to trade off. And I mean, yeah, I think that's just, they try to get better. And if it doesn't work, they're in the lottery like they want to be. And they're probably saved themselves from at least being completely terrible and embarrassing. And you um, still have a chance to move up. Plus you at least can sell to your fan base that you tried. Yeah, for sure. And like we talked about before, with the lottery odds flattening quite a bit, it's not even the worst case scenario to be like seventh or eighth or something in the lottery. So, yeah, on board. Um, so, do you have any specific trades you want to talk about then, or anything you want to talk about before we get into trades? Uh, not really. I I have some trade targets, but mainly I was focused on uh, free agency just because they have all this space, but. I don't know, other than just trying to get better and um, being smart about who you're targeting, both in free agency and trades. I mean, I already said the number one would be bringing back Christian Wood, so I think that that's very important. It's just one big piece of their offseason, but I don't know. What Do you have anything else? No. I mean, I guess the only thing I'd say, and we can use the transition anyway, is looking at Luke Kennard. I'm also someone who's uh, pretty high on him. But they were shopping him at the deadline. Apparently, they were pretty close to deal with Phoenix. And, I mean, I guess I get the theory behind it. It's something I talk about a lot, selling high when your team when you're not going anywhere. But, and also then you factor in, the, he's, factor in that he's pretty injury-prone. So, I mean, there's the chance that he ends up injuries hold him back his whole career or he's not able to do... Um, He's not, he just doesn't live up to what he could be because of that. So I get the idea behind shopping him. But then also it's like you factor in, well, he was a legit, like, really good player this year when he was healthy. And sometimes about with Cleveland, like, you need shooters to evaluate other young guys. So he's a good person to have for a rebuilding team. But and one thing I forgot to mention, too, he's about to get paid. So that does make things a little more difficult. So I understand the idea of listening to offers and – um, just jumping right into trade stuff with him. That's kind of where I stand. At. Like I'm gonna hear, I'm gonna listen to any phone call a team makes to me as Detroit, but I'd have to be blown away to move him. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would not. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same boat as you. Do you actually know what the Suns' offer was, or what was like near the trade? Uh, I want to say the issue. I think it was two first-round picks, but the issue was that there was no upside to the picks because they were, like, lottery-protected, and that's where it fell apart. Like, Detroit wanted, like, to remove Phoenix's lottery protections for this year. I can't remember. I think that that definitely was the issue, and I I just can't remember if there's a second pick involved. But I think that was the idea. They wanted – they – couldn't agree on the lottery protections for this year. And obviously that makes sense for Detroit that you'd want the upside of Phoenix, who's not going to be a, like a, who's most likely going to be in the lotteries. You don't want to make that pick lottery protected. Right. But no players. Oh, I mean, I don't know, probably one of their young guys or something like that. But I think the idea of it was like uh, the picks or pick. Okay. Uh, yeah. I would have to be blown away probably to trade Kennard. I mean, I don't think he's like a franchise star by any means, but he, like you said, he's a really good player this year. He has increased his usage the last three seasons. And with that, his efficiency has gone up every year. I think he shoots 40% from deep, like all three, 
all three years of his career so far. And I don't know. I really liked him when I looked closer at him. He's like a kind of a versatile shooter. He doesn't need to be wide open. He was getting up some pretty tough looks. He can like stop on a dime, uh, kind of like weaving around pick and rolls and actually rise up and knock down a shot. Like it feels like he could be the decent like number two hub of an offense to me, honestly. He also was like crafty on his drives. I feel like he could finish a little bit in traffic. And I don't know, his offense w- was impressive to me. Yeah, agree with all that. I just uh, think it's funny. I feel like every lefty ever has been described as crafty. I actually, yeah, but... <laughs> I'm left-handed, and I got that in uh, one of like my player bio in school. They put it. They said I was a crafty left-hander. <laughs> I agree with you, but I do still stand by it for Kadar. Like he's not the quickest guy in the world, and he probably doesn't even have the best handles. But he, I felt like he could get guys on his hip. And like maneuvers way all the way to the hole, or else kind of like get him leaning the wrong way and knock down like a little mini step back. Like I don't know, I was pretty impressed. I don't watch a ton of Pistons ball, so I had to, I had to whip through some of his film, and I don't know, I wouldn't be trying to get rid of him. Yeah, but. I completely agree. Um, all those things you said, like he really is a, a elite shooter, can do a little, not even a little, he can do a good bit with the ball. Uh, decent positional size, young, like type of player in shooting is like the most important things, type of thing that everyone needs. So yeah, I, I kind of, I think I, I might be a little bit more willing to move him just because of the fact that the injuries is like a real thing. Like there's a chance that injuries really hold him back. Like he's been hurt a lot, and someone who's not that athletic, like that's. People think, oh, he's not athletic. Uh, it doesn't matter if he loses some athleticism. When in reality, those are the type of the people who like they're like basically performing. Like if they lose any step, they're not able to do some of the things they do now. Like they're barely able to do it, get by with their athleticism. So that could be kind of scary if he gets hurt and loses some athleticism. So I think I might be a little bit more willing to move him. Um, did you write down any trades for him? Honestly, no, I didn't. I I, I do hear about the injury concerns though. I. I think I saw that he's never played 70 games in a season yet, and he only played, like, 28 this year. So, yeah, I mean, it's how, how valuable is a guy if he's not on the court, right? Yeah. Probably not very valuable, but I guess I'm looking at best-case scenario for the Detroit of him being on the court, and I just... I don't know. I don't. I think that some of his skills are not that easy to find, but what what uh, what type of trades do you think could make sense? So, when it, it was rumored he was on the block, like, I think... I wrote about this for the draft class. I think one team really dropped the ball by not, like, going hard after him, and that was Philly. Uh, I mean, just how bad they needed a shooter and just how many, like, reasonable assets they had. Because now I think about it, I think because I think I remember, like, I'm thinking of what I wrote, and that's triggering uh, what the parent Phoenix offer was. But I think it was just one pick. And, I mean, there's just, like, I think it was, like, a pick and a player. And, like, that's why if they would have got it like unprotected, you're looking at like the eighth or ninth pick. That kind of makes sense where like Phoenix is headed. But um, I, well, Philly, I just think there's so many like potential deals that could have been done. You look at two young guys who they have who could have could have been them two together, could have been one of them two in picks. But you had uh, Thibault and Zaire Smith, and then you had two super quality seconds that could have been like added on to be the like uh, final value, and then you had um, plenty of future first going forward like. That's just looking at if he actually was available. I think Philly really dropped the ball by not pursuing him. 
But I think, do you think there could be a deal to be made around like Thibault in those two quality seconds? If they were going to trade under the Suns for one first round pick and a very not great player, then maybe you're right. I guess that doesn't seem well like at this point. Like yes, but at this point, kind of just looking at how we think of it. For me, that probably wouldn't be enough for just Thibault and seconds. I think I've mentioned before, I don't dislike Thibault, but they're just such different players, and I, I would value Kennard's shooting and playmaking and uh, offensive ability a little bit more, especially when I don't really see anyone else that can fill that role on the Pistons. That's under... I mean, Derek Rose sure can put in a bucket and so can Blake Griffin, but those guys are both 31-plus years old. So I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't love it, personally. Yeah, I don't think that's enough value for me as Detroit uh, also, but I think there's probably Thibel stands out there that'll come after us for that. Uh, um, yeah, maybe. Do you think if there's... I don't... I guess if I had to be a future first, or it had to be a future first, but Thibel in some form of like 22 or 23 first, do you think that's getting you any closer? Or just like... It's just the idea of like one like just the pick's not going to make up for the different style player they are and the fact that canard has like some real potential to be like a legit type uh number two number three score and always be an elite floor spacer yeah honestly it's what you said the latter of what you just said i i don't think i mean sure maybe you could add enough picks if you just threw them at yeah. me, but like even if it was like one unprotected first i don't really think i would like that very much yeah, it's just kind of like the idea of, like, maybe you can get a trade where the value looks pretty close, but just swapping out those two style players and just what they bring to the floor, it's kind of, it'd be hard to see a reasonable one that makes sense. Yeah, it's actually but, funny, uh, sorry, I'm briefly you, cut in yeah, here. So uh, at SBC, actually, where obviously we, we <laughs> met, I had the Pistons, who I was very not happy about because I wasn't too excited about their team. But you mentioned Canard, and we literally pulled off a Canard trade last summer. Do you remember what it was? That trade was wild. <laughs> Thibault, Smith, and two first. Was um, that it? It was Thibault, Smith, two pick swaps, and then one unprotected first. Okay. That, I think... But you would, you would do that in a heartbeat, right? Yeah. I mean, I think whoever read it announced that didn't, maybe didn't announce the picks as picks options but i just remember everyone's jaw dropped like we're all sitting at our tables everyone's going hard debating and like talking about stuff and all of a sudden like uh, whoever was announcing the trades announced that and i just remember like everyone at, i was the pelicans like everyone at our table our jaws dropped and we we're just looking at each other like what just happened yeah i mean that's funny that you say thibault in a second it would probably be close i just feel like i had to bring that up i just pulled up our uh document from that i think that that trade got like the big seal of approval he was from like kevin pelton or danny larue or someone so we're, we're pretty proud of that one because we got some uh some applause from the experts yeah that was speaking of spc and that, that was a great exercise we were the pelicans and uh we talked so much about so many things we had eric pinkus of uh, bleacher report as our guy and He's like a, he wanted to get, like, he basically would go through like every possibility. So we kind of looked at like every team and stuff. So we did so much discussing about like people we'd like 
And at the end of the day, when they read out all the moves that happened, like we really, it felt like we did so much more. But I think we only ended up doing two trades at the end. We brought Miles Turner to the Pelicans, so that's, I think that was a pretty quality deal right there. Um, yeah, to get back on topic. Yeah, no, that um, was super fun and. Pistons, so I do have some familiarity with them. Uh, but. Yeah, I guess to all of our haters out there, real quick, we can uh, say we have experience participating in mock trade deadlines with actual GMs of the league, so we might have yeah. some credibility. I don't know how much that gives us, but <laughs> I mean, there's legit well, people who just got done being GMs there. You look at Ryan McDonough, Wes Wilcox, um, other high level execs, the top media guys in the game, like oh, Bobby Marks, like. It was, a, it was a great exercise. Yeah, for sure. So all of our trades aren't that bad because we both were part of teams that pulled off uh, real trades at, for this exercise that did include uh, executives and ESPN analysts and whatnot. So I will I will defend our honor in that case. But it's funny, Canard, we traded him, and I was actually much lower on him a year ago, and I was like, I was like laughing almost uh, when, we, when we pulled this one off. I was still yeah, that was before today. he broke out this year too. Like he yeah, really broke out this year, right? And maybe they foresaw that, probably not, but maybe. Um, I would still do the trade today, but maybe it's a, not quite as bad anymore. But also, Thibault broke out, so you could you could kind of look both ways on that. I think Thibault always had his stance, though. He always said people were, like, super high on him, like, even before he ever played a game. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, yeah, we just ate up a lot of time right there. Uh, I have a lot of... I mean, not, not a lot. I just kind of briefly looked at some things for Kennard and it's all like kind of the same thing it's swapping him with a different shooting guard who might not be as good like a different young shooting guard and getting a pick also like I wrote down a Dante DiVincenzo in the Indiana first and then also Terrence Ferguson of the Thunder and one in their Denver first this year and then one of their super far out first that has some upside potential like one of the Houston or Clipper ones you don't even have to talk about those too much if you just have some quick thoughts to add we can move on I guess I'll just say I don't love them. Do you? So this can kind of blend into another thing. I don't want to drill us from trades, but are you afraid of uh, paying Kennard? Is that part of this? It's it's kind of the idea of that plus injury risk, and it's like those are two things that could handicap you severely, and they could like it could be both of them at the same time. It could be one or the other, and it's also we don't know where this team's going, so it's kind of just. A, it's just kind of the idea of there being a few different areas of question marks that makes me willing to do it. And it's kind of something we've talked about before. Just uh, I'm trying to remember who we were talking about doing the trades with. But if someone who I talked about trading with Bible, I can't remember. It's just the idea of extending the asset, getting someone who's only on mm-hmm. year two of their rookie scale. But like you said, yeah. I, I believe if, if there was no injury issues ever, like I probably not a single one of these trades I don't think I'd consider. Yeah, the only thing to push back on for that, you could also flip the coin the other way and you could bring all these injury issues to Kennard and his agent and maybe you can extend him on a very team-friendly deal. And then oh, yeah. all of a sudden, you have the chance. I'm not by any means calling him Steph Curry, but you have a chance for that type of deal where you lock somebody in because of prior injury history at a number three to eight million dollars a year lower than he would have uh, in any other circumstance. So that might be one thing that the Pistons um, are actually view favorably especially with cap space or cap 
going down probably due to all this uh, COVID stuff and maybe uh, security as a little bit higher in players' minds going into this offseason. Yeah, that's a great point. I actually didn't even consider that. Uh, maybe you gauge where extension talks are going this offseason. Then if you're like, okay, he's asking for way too much money, then maybe you're more willing to move him. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, yeah, so that's kind of all I really have on Kennard. Let's see. Um, I mean, yeah, the only other – I have a few Derrick Rose things, but it's kind of just like literally the, everything we've talked about for every scoring guard ever. Yeah, for Rose, I think that's going to be something I'm going to evaluate close to the trade deadline because, like – you mentioned earlier, maybe they're good and maybe you just ride it out. Or if you're not that good, or if you get blown away by some contender, you just take them for a first round pick or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I actually don't really have much for trades because I really only, they might only have like six or well, seven players like sign, like locked, yeah. locked in going into this offseason. They have all this cap space. They have a bunch of guys with, with that they have the rights to or else uh, their bird rights to, but they only have like seven guys that are nailed down. And I, didn't really explore trading all of them or any of them too much. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. And then you fact you got factor in too. Like they had a super high price on Rose this um, deadline. Apparently, they want uh, wanted a lottery pick for him, and I mean that was never going to happen. So it's like, yeah, okay, we'll shoot for the fences, but if we don't get it. Oh well, like we're not moving them. So that would most likely mean they're not planning on doing it this off season. So it'd take getting to this deadline for him to move them. I actually think he probably had pretty solid value last deadline, considering you got a second year of him and you got him, you got him for two playoff runs essentially. So maybe now you're looking at not even being able to get a first for him because they screwed that up or potentially screwed it up. Um, but if they were considering moving him this offseason, some things I kind of tossed around. It's the same deal, really. I thought they should have did, they should have done. Um, at the deadline was like Kuzma, a little salary filler in the first. Maybe even not even the first, maybe do seconds, but like basically the idea of Kuzma for Rose would be like the um, would be the theme of it. If I'm Detroit, I would I would very much like to do that. Yeah, I mean, I just think like the Lakers, like I definitely said a million times, they desperately need that guard to create, and um, I mean, not even being big on Kuzma, it's just you're getting the younger player and someone who you could probably let him explore his offense a little bit more and yeah I mean it's just kind of like the asset play there swapping Rose out for a younger asset and then if you can get picks out of it as well or like I talked about on Cleveland how I'm kind of high on Taylor Horton Tucker if you can get him included I would definitely think about that and you maybe even include uh, I think the way I do it is I try and juice it up as Detroit to where I can get Kuzma Horton Tucker and the first, like in the first is going to be the 29th pick. So, I mean, that's not like, uh, or 28th pick, I think. Yeah, no, it's 29th. So, I think it's not like it's that quality of a first, but like still, I mean, just the idea of being able to grab that asset. So, I think may, if I would really try to juice it up enough to get that, so maybe do like Rose and if Rose and whatever Detroit minimum guy is enough to get that, like I definitely would consider that. Cause I mean, Bruce. Uh, Bruce Brown, that could be, I mean, he's a pretty good defensive guard and might, uh, could kind of do what Avery Bradley does for the Lakers, be a solid player there. Um, 
if maybe they want feedback to just to have another knockdown shooter. But if you can add one of those guys to make the package beat Kuzma or Tucker in first, that's something I'd really look to do as Detroit. Derek Rose might have fallen out of favor with LeBron is the only it's the only thing I would say with their goofy Cleveland encounter. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I mean I could I could see him exploring it. Um, and then, yeah, maybe the only other thing I have is maybe something around Boston's picks, like maybe like Langford and one or two of the, and like the, the, the Bucks pick or something like that, or maybe Boston and the Bucks pick plus Langford for Rose. Cause yeah. just the idea of Boston just need one more competent player and they have to be point guard, whatever, that's fine. And they need, like you talked about, they need someone who gets to the rim. But I don't think Derrick Rose actually gets to the rim too much at this point in his career. But I mean, still probably more than anyone they have. So, and just being able to probably, he probably, if he goes to Boston, he probably extends his career an extra year or two by like shifting into like a 20 minutes a night type role. And I mean, I think that'd be a great fit for him. So maybe if you can get him for like Langford and a pick or two, you do that as Boston and Detroit, you're at least getting young first round pick and someone who I think actually could end up being like a starter level player in Langford. Yeah. I mean, that makes some sense. Yeah, that's I'm all I have, much, I don't have too much on Derrick Rose. I mean, I do have a few tr- trades that basically are more about cap space, though. It'd both be, just be taking players in. So, I mean, we could talk about free agency first if you want. Um, yeah, we might as well go free agency then because that's all I have on trades. Um, so, yeah, we have them down. We have them looking at... Significant cap space, but they do have some somewhat sizable holes in uh, Lynx and Galloway and stuff. But, I mean, they can kind of maneuver things however they want. And with Christian's, Christian Wood's uh, hold being so low, they can do whatever moves they want and still be able to sign him. So, I guess we don't really even have to be too specific about what moves they'd have to do to create the space. So, I kinda, I'll just look at uh, the way I kind of wrote it out as I grouped it into like people I would consider doing the long term and then young guys if I'm leaning towards being a uh, taking the longer route the few young guys I might be willing to overpay for and uh, I guess I'll start with the long term guys if you can somehow get Fred Van Fleet for like four for 80 or something like that like I think he that'd be ideal he kind of bridges the gap and fits both those things I was talking about yeah, I mean, Fred Van Vliet was the first guy on my list. I think that that is too low for him, but I could be way wrong with this this economy <laughs> that we're now living in. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm just like, that's kind of how, how I word it on my notes. Like, if you can get him for this, like, you might as well just make the offer just in case, like, you, it's it's there. Or maybe even go, like, three years for a little bit higher of an annual rate. But, like, you just throw him one of those two offers, and then if he accepts it, cool. If not, no harm, no foul. Yeah. Do you... Do you think it'd be insane to give him like, like twenty five plus million a year? Not in. I mean, four years. That's that's a tough sell. But I mean, I thought about when I was looking at like what my three year offer would be. I was like, is three for seventy five too crazy? And it might be, but I end up settling on something. I mean, I, I end up writing writing down three for seventy. Like, I mean, what's the? I mean that's that's just as crazy as three for seventy five. So. Well, I mean, mine is even mine's even higher than that. I don't even think I want to share it now. But I, 
I mean, I, I'm always factoring in with these bad teams. Like, I'm factoring in that nobody wants to go to Detroit unless they yeah. overpay. Not that Detroit is some sort of bad city or something, but they just don't have a history of winning in the last decade. Um, and, and like, something you talk about a lot previously is, like, what is the opportunity cost of, of doing this? You already said that their 21, 22 books are pretty thin also. And... I don't know. The bottom of the East is bad. It's like yeah, I I could see paying Van Vliet. I don't know. Hand him a blank check. Just tell him what do you want. What do you want to come here? Not I would uh, not for four years. Maybe three. Yeah. Years. I I'd like three for eighty. Even I don't know. I mean, yeah, you could maybe like start him at the max this year and have it decline maximum declines or something like that. Like front load it too to help you a little more in the future. Like, I mean, the logic is definitely there. It's like I kind of just had to talk myself down a little, but maybe I guess there's. I mean, I, yeah, I could be crazy. I could be crazy. I well, no, I mean, you're not crazy. I, I remember I thought he was getting four for 100 a few months ago when we talked on the draft class yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, it's just I, he's a great complimentary player, obviously, for any contending team. Like, he's perfect. Like, for any very good team, he's perfect. It's just like – but if you're looking at him – without a superstar or two on your roster, without, like, a setup like Toronto where just everyone's very good, just looking at a couple other good players, maybe that ends up handicapping you, like, a year or two down the road when you're looking to make, a, like, a, maybe you have a younger setup or something like that, and, like, he also, someone who's not the most athletic, maybe he declines kind of fast out of nowhere or something. I just think that's, you just get really risky. But then again, three years, like, I mean, it can't be too risky for a three-year deal, especially when you consider you're kind of a lock to get elite production out of it at least year one and year two. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I think I this I, is something I, I'd have to really sit down, like probably spend, like have it super, like, we do a whole podcast on like just what would be the opportunity cost and like, is it worth throwing that much money at him? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably too. I'm probably a little bit too high. He's also already over 26 years old, so he's not like uh, that young, really. I mean, it seems like he's younger because he. I think he played out four years at Wichita State, yeah. but maybe 27, 28 million, or even the max is maybe a little bit too rich. But I guess I'm just asking, what am I doing instead on the Pistons? I'm, I could probably find something better to do, but I have a huge hole at point guard in the future, in my opinion. I mean, I think Derrick Rose is not even your stereotypical point guard anymore, and. You, probably will look into trading him anyway. He might be better as a sixth man. Yeah. Like, I think... One thing... And Van V could even play next to a point guard like he is now yeah. in Toronto. The, one thing I'll add, though, is there's the risk of, like, this handicapping you somehow in, like, two or three years, maybe one year. Not that high of a risk, but, I mean, that's still something that could happen. And then factor in... Um, he might end up making you, like, too good to, like, bottom out, but not really good enough to make any sort of difference. Like, you might be able to. You're more likely to be able to get at, top, at best like a six seed with him, but I don't think he's gonna make you that much better in the long run. But I think he definitely stops you from being terrible, and probably not even just stops you from terrible. He's good enough to keep you to where like you're never gonna have worse than the tenth best record, worst record. Yeah, I can see that. Do you do you think that say he was at twenty six million a year? This year, next year goes horribly for the Pistons. Say they're stuck in ninth or something. Worst pick, no playoffs. Do you think that they could get off of him when everybody has cap space two years from now? 
yeah, at, at twenty six million, do you think they could just get a mulligan and well, trade him for into space or for some minor asset? Like that is like what convinces me. Like maybe this like is something you do because I think yes, like I do think you'd be able to move him if he had like two years fifty remaining after the season. Like I hundred percent think that's movable. Because they're probably if you one, took on like one, especially if you took on like one player who wasn't very good with a bloated deal. Yeah, and then that's like what I was gonna a, say there's probably like one more something. bad contract out there now. There'll be a few more bad contracts out there by then. So I mean, I that's what I'll talk myself into it because of stuff like that. But then I'm just like, I don't know, man. That's crazy. That's a lot of money for like a, no. the tenth best point guard in the league, if he's even that. Like, who also I, like, I, and one thing that kind of does scare me is like something I talked I talked about earlier. Like the people who aren't the most athletic, like they're at the biggest risk for when they lose that one step of like completely falling off. And I think that could be an issue with him. Right. I'm arguing with myself also. It's probably definitely too rich to go over, say, $25 million. But part of me is still saying, just get him here and figure out the rest later. You can see how you play. You can see how you perform. You could always trade him in, a, in the next summer. Um, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Being, a GM's, being a GM's hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not as easy as Twitter makes it seem. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I guess the, we can... I mean, you could with like, just flying through the rest because that's probably the only one that warranted that sort of discussion. Yeah, he was the only guy that I had like really pointing up big money for potentially. Yeah, and then I'll throw my annual podcast uh, free agent reference of Jeremy Grant. I think he'd be a great fit. Obviously, throw him around not that much, but throw him, I'd be willing to throw him a good bit to get him to come long-term. And then Jordan Clarkson is someone I consider. I put down three for 45 for him, probably a slight overpay, but, I mean, you desperately need the scoring and stuff. I had literally three for 45 down for Clarkson. <laughs> wow. That's uh, – that we've, we've done too many of these together. Also had Grant down, but I, you didn't give a number for him. But, uh, yeah, I would be interested in Grant. Maybe, yeah, like, Grant. 14, 15 mil or something. Yeah, I just put around, like, 15 for Grant. And, like, honestly, I'd go four years for him. He's young enough. Um, but yeah, that's Clarkson 3 for 45. Wow. What a, what a moment. Yeah. Um, do you have any other guys? This. Do you have any other guys uh, you think? Yeah, I mean, I always, I always bring up Chris Dunn. I don't know. I probably like him more than most. Their defense is nothing special. Derek Rose is not particularly good at defense. I feel like he'd be a good fit next to him. Kennard is not exactly um, a lockdown defender either. I just feel like he can fit on so many teams, kind of like a Marcus Smart light version. Uh, so I have done. Uh, do you like Don at all? Yeah. Curious what you just said. Uh, then I have Melton. Like I, I said, that I wanted a point guard of the future. Maybe same he's concept. not. Yeah, maybe he's not the starter of the future, but he's yeah, same concept. And then I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of small forwards because if I'm talking about getting better for next year, like, would you? So I do have one other decent deal out here. So like, would you give Gallo like? I have twenty six million for one season. It's not crazy. I mean, there's definitely logic behind that. Just trying to be better for one year, reevaluate after that, and um, I mean, this kind of fits the exact logic I said they should pursue. Honestly, try and get better for one year, and if it doesn't work, you're already in the lottery and you have assets to trade. So, I mean, yeah, I think that's definitely realistic. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of like that for them. I honestly think that. They would have a little bit of a, a frisky roster if Rose and Griffin stayed healthy and then they brought in like a playmaking 
three or four. So Gallo ahead well, down. I'm just thinking about that. That'd be insane shooting. Cause I think people forget how good of a shooter Blake Griffin was at 2018-19. Like he was super high volume, super high percentage. Luke Kennard and Gallo, Christian like Warp. and Christian. And, oh my God! Yeah, with Derrick Rose slashing, like that would be. Like, you, you wouldn't believe it until you start talking about it, but then you'd be like, wow, this has potential to be, like, a top-ten offense right here. Yeah, and you already said all the role players played well and shot a little bit better than they maybe would uh, would in a normal season, but maybe maybe they can shoot. So, yeah, they'd have a lot of shooting. They have some playmaking. I don't know. I would fire some money off of Gallo. Like, it's you go open, but uh, what, go ahead. Uh, I was, was just going to say if you would go long-term on him. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd probably go two years. Uh, at least line him up with Griffin because, yeah, I don't know, then you would just have a ton of money after that. But I don't know if I'd want to go three or four for Gallo. He's a little too old for yeah. probably what I'm trying to do. So, yeah, so Gallo, uh, I have Mo Harkless down. Like I said, I wanted a small forward. I would probably give him three years for maybe 40 or so. Uh, GR3 and a little bit lower end. Um, Derek Jones Jr. might kick the tires on. A lot of the guys we've listed a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> even even Jay Crowder for like two years, I would probably be willing to throw him yeah, off for around yeah, $10 million a year. Jay Crowder would kind of fit perfect in the strategy I talked about. If he helps you win, great. If not, that's, I mean, I'm sure you get him on a tradable number if it's yeah. short term. So, yeah, I think I'd. Just based on that logic and the fact that he's never really gotten paid that well, maybe I'd throw him like two for 28 or something like that and maybe even make it declining. And like I'm sure you could easily trade that if uh, you needed to. And it helps you to pursue a bigger fish if that ends up being the the path they choose. Right, or you could even do like a second-year team option with like $4 million guaranteed or something, kind of like the Knicks have done with a few of their guys. Yeah, um, and he fits but... into the style of just – I mean, he lets it fly from three. Not the best shooter, but he lets it fly. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I was more looking at a lot of small forwards and then some of the bigger impact guys that I already mentioned. And I didn't go too much into big men because they have Blake Griffin and Wood. I Obviously, I said Wood was, like, my number one um, priority of the offseason. So I don't have a ton of other free agent targets. I mean, fill out your team with role players that can play. We say that for like every team, but that it would be important yeah. if they want to be uh, decent next year as well. I mean, honestly, this team, like as we're talking through free agency, they are, I feel like they're getting a little bit more interesting to me because then you factor in that Woods, I mean, you can bring him back and you can pay him however much it takes considering his cap hold is literally the minimum and right. that you can make all these moves, use all your cap space and then sign him to whatever number you want because of the bird rights. So... I mean, you look at you're already adding Blake Griffin back to, like, the core of what they had, um, plus all this cap space and some veterans that actually make sense. And the theme that I talked about, they you can just trade them if it doesn't work out. But I think there's actually a little bit more potential for this team to bounce back than um, I originally thought. Like, if you go I – mean, what if you split it up? What if you get Mo Harkless and Jay Crowder? Like, you throw them both 12 to 13 a year – and then bring back Wood. I mean, that's probably a playoff team if you get, like, an 80% outcome of, like, Griffin, right? Yeah. I mean, just looking at Rose, Kennard, Blake Griffin, Christian Wood, I mean, that's, that's I mean, yeah. four-fifths of a solid-ish team, right? Like, yeah, that's, if, that's not I mean, a bad start. If you look start. at, like, just getting a 
average to good healthy season from the those four collectively. I mean, there's probably going to be a few of them who continue their solid productions. One or two might drop off or whatever, but I mean, if you just look at average to good outcomes for health and play out of those four. I mean, that's probably looking at, like you said, a very good, a pretty good setup for a solid team. They have a few good young pieces already, have a good draft pick they're going to be added. Cap space. I think Detroit's going to be a playoff team next year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who would you see falling out? Maybe the Magic? I know that's near and dear to your heart. Yeah. Because uh, actually, the East playoff teams are not terrible. Like, the top six are pretty solid, and I I don't really know. You don't have to go too deep into it, but, like, do you see any team that has, like, a potential for decline outside of, like, major injuries? Uh, Maybe Indiana. Yeah, possibly. I, because, I mean, you said without injuries, but, uh, I mean, I think it's fair to consider, like, injury from guys like Old Depot and Brogdon. Like, who knows what they're coming back. TJ Warren and Sabonis probably had – are probably huge regression candidates. And then, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can definitely see them falling back. Um, yeah. I mean, also, there's always, like, one team that does have a lot of injuries, I feel like, yeah. or way underperform. So, it's probably not fair for me to say – throw that aside. Yeah, but um, I think I've – been talked a little bit more into Detroit. I think the idea of them adding like the, like uh, the few role players just makes a lot of sense. Maybe you get Jordan Clarkson plus one of these like forward guys I were talking about. The only guy I had on my list that you didn't mention was Juancho Hernandez, and I mean I think I've mentioned Juancho for every team that has at least yeah. a mid level exception. I just it's just a solid wing. I mean he shoots really well. He or I mean he shoots good and like he does he plays analytically correct good body i mean just kind of does is the type of player every team needs and can add and especially teams that need forwards and are probably would be better to look at young players just makes plenty of sense on like he's i'd be willing to though get a little more over the mid-level exception for him just to maybe if like some of these veterans don't work out like if i'm looking at i didn't get really any of the veterans i want i might give them like three for 36 or something like that just to get that forward body let him explore some of his potential he probably has a little more offensive potential to explore. Let him do that, and then just kind of help to maybe win now, but definitely be a piece going forward. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, I just have a few smaller, just because I think they have a big hole at point guard. I have, like, if they strike out on all those guys I already mentioned, like DJ Augustine or even Matthew Delvadova, just to give you someone else who can run your offense and shoot a little bit more so with Augustine than Delvadova, but. But yeah, and then do you want to – so I do have a few other guys that kind of are like in the free agency mold, but maybe they could take them in with trades. So like one guy I looked at is uh, – well, do you want – do you have any other free agents you want to – No, that's okay. – you got the floor. So what about uh, what about Otto Porter? He makes too much money. You have a ton of space. Maybe the Bulls say it's, he's not a part of their long-term plan. He has a high – or say he has a high contract and it expires after next year. Like – could you see them taking Otto Porter into space for maybe a small asset? Or yeah. Bulls probably Bulls probably aren't overly looking to get rid of him, but I, don't know, I, mean, I think yeah. that would be a decent fit. That makes sense. Yeah. Similarly, I had Ubre down. He's a little bit less, but I don't know. I don't know what Phoenix is doing. I never know what Phoenix is doing. I feel like they dangle a lot of players in trades, and he, I think he also expires after next year, so. Just another small forward that's young-ish that could maybe fit their future and they have cap space. 
What about on the on the crazy side? What if what if you could get? Uh, would you consider Chris Paul? I thought about him. <laughs> like it's just the whole him and Blake, Blake Griffin, Griffin cannot coexist again, especially now that Blake's someone who really dominates the ball. Um, but no, the logic behind it, yeah. I mean, if you get him for cheap, it definitely he'd probably be a pretty good team next year. <laughs> yeah. We also traded for uh, Chris Paul in our in our summer mock deadline. Oh, I, for, I forgot about that one. Yeah, but but I mean, I think they have a whole point guard, like I keep saying, and they have all this cap space. It's probably not something you want to do, but they, I mean, Chris Paul is still really dang good, so I'd at least throw it out there. What do you? Um, we should briefly consider. So I don't know if we explicitly said it, but Christian Wood is unrestricted. So he actually could just leave if he just doesn't want our money. So would that change like everything for you if you were not able to retain him? Or would you still have uh, people with the same general plan? Or did you not even think about it? I mean, I thought about it, but I feel like Detroit's they're the only team that believed in him. And the fact that they have the opportunity to pay him the most, I just kind of think more than likely he ends up staying. But... Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of the same boat if he doesn't, though, because now you're just looking at, like, one less, like, starter-level player or so and one less player to go towards a rebuild. But, um, I mean, I don't think it drastically changes your standing too much. Okay. Do you have a number that both you would expect to get him at and one that you would say, wow, I just can't stomach that? Okay, so I don't... No, I don't, this won't directly answer what you're saying, but kind of just the way I'm thinking through it is fair value for him. I think after considering just the value of the center position and all that and the um, fact that he hasn't proven it for too long, but also considering he probably would prefer long-term since of all his bounce around has been paid, I think something around three or four, probably you want four years just to lock him up longer since he is still young. Uh, I think around like, 11, 10 to 12 million is fair value, especially when you really consider how little. I mean, just because he has, if he did this for like two seasons, probably looking at more. But the fact that it's really only two thirds of like one season and he only started towards the end of that, I think 10 to 12 million is kind of fair value. But say the moves I've made kind of eaten into my cap space for next year, which looks like it's like um, there's like a possibility of that if you do a couple two-year deals that take up some next year's cap space, and I don't think I'm going to have that much flexibility as it is, then I might be willing to just be like, okay, well, we're kind of already out of options for next year. Not out of options, but we have less flexibility next year. I'd be willing to spend a little more. And also, I'd probably just be willing to go a little more over what I consider to be fair value anyway, just because, I mean, you don't want to lose a player over a couple million for a team in Detroit situation. So I try and keep the total number after saying all that like under 15 annually okay yeah i mean he only played like even when he's starting late in the season he only played like 21 minutes a game i know it was obviously more once they traded drummond but i had very similar to you actually i think i had i have 13 to 15 million i think getting him for 10 to 12 is probably a little optimistic uh may Mainly because we talked about a few other teams already that would like that probably would like to have his services, but I don't know. Like, because if you, I actually don't know if I for sure agree with this, but I hear people say a lot like average starter money is like what fifteen to seventeen million or so. So like 
do you think he is not even really a starter if you're only paying him like 11 or 12 or just I know that you say he hasn't proven it and earned it but he's probably going to tell you well you're going to pay me for what I'm about to do and not what yeah. I already did um yeah I mean I think he'd probably be a I feel like average starter kind of seems about right at, for center. I mean, do you think he's better than the 15th best center in the league? No, I think I think that's about right. That's probably why I was a little, little bit higher when I said probably I take it probably would take like 13 to 15 million. In my yeah, opinion. but average starter center is probably worse skill yeah. like impact wise than average starter at other positions. That's, that's um, true too. I think, but just kind of, like I said also, too, about how it's not that big of a deal to go over what I would say is fair value just because, I mean, it's list opportunity costs and you're a young rebuilding team. Like, there's probably some offense, there's some potential there for him to really pop and maybe be, like, eight, ninth best center in the league or something like that. So, like, and like you said about how he's saying you're going to pay him for what he's going to do. So, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, probably looking at, for first somewhere between 50 and 60 million yeah no i think that's right and depending also, on whoever negotiates better <laughs> yeah and also we're quibbling over like one or two million a year but i just i, I just find yeah. it interesting just because i think there will be other teams that are going to be after him and it'll be interesting to see what he chooses i think you're right though that he probably would give detroit the leg up because they found him and maybe he has a good relationship with those guys but like yeah. you said it's a new front office so and it's know. not even just um i think that they found him i think a lot of like all those other things like, i think he got cut by, like multiple teams like multiple teams didn't believe him like i know new orleans chose julia okafor over him which i mentioned this on a previous spot but just christian wood makes so much sense next to zion like it's just insane you know they've really <laughs> quick tangent that screw up plus something I talked about earlier with the Jackson Hayes pick. If you nail that pick and get Cam Reddish, like those are two like great pieces I think next to like that fit their current roster. That's that's kind of two big potential screw ups uh, that are both under the David Griffin era too. Something something worth thinking about. Yeah, no, I I agree with that for sure. Um, yeah, that's. That's all I got on the Pistons. Oh, well, I, I got one more. Yeah, I got one last thing. You can go ahead with yours, though. Uh, so, yeah, we briefly touched on it earlier, but what what would you actually be willing to extend Kennard for? I'm interested in that because I think that if I'm trying to keep him, like I said earlier, I wonder what what is both a realistic offer you could make a uh, year So, out. I guess to look at it as if, like, this offseason, what I'm offering this fall is, I mean, maybe – pretty similar numbers to what we're talking about Christian Wood, like 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, his negotiation would be so tough to have like this summer just because of his injury history and the fact that his breakout was for 28 games or 25, 25 games. So I think his, I mean, he'd have to prove that he can stay healthy for a whole season. So I don't think anything gets done this summer unless he's willing to take something pretty team friendly. Like if he's willing to, I guess the max I'd offer this summer is a good way to put it would probably be like four for 50. But then again, I say that, but if he's like willing to take four for 60, I mean, I probably would be willing to do that this summer too. So that I'll, I'll call that my max. I don't think I'd go over that four for 60 this summer. And then obviously if he proves he can do it um, next year, uh, when it comes time to extend him, but the summer after that probably be willing to go more than that. Yeah. So, 
I think that that's fair-ish. I I had very similar. I had four for 65 is probably what I would try to get him for. Do you think that there's any chance he would actually take that? I mean, security security I mean, might be important to players this summer with yeah, just all the wackiness in the world right now. And it's like, man, if I could just ink that today, why not? Especially with everything going on and the fact that, like, I mean, just looking at his health risk, but also his playing risk. Like, I don't think it's a lot. He proves he's a $65 million player next year. Like, I mean, he could, but I don't think it's a lot. And I don't think it's realistic that he proves he's that much better than that. Like, what's his ceiling? Four for 80? Like, I mean, if you if four for 65 is on the table for Kennard, I think it'd be very wise for him to sign that. Uh, talking about his ceiling, so do you think it's crazy that he could be like Gordon Hayward? And not only because they're both like uh, white small forwards or whatever, but yeah. yeah, white shooters. But they both they both like can play make a little bit. They're like probably better in the pick and roll than some people realize. Like I said, I like Kennard, um his craftiness, and he like I said, he's increased his usage three years in a row, and his efficiency has gone up. Which usually it goes the other way. So I don't know. I do you think um, that he could be like as good as Gordon Hayward, or is that too rich? I mean. Maybe like a shooting guard version, which at the end of the day, if you're doing those type of stuff at shooting guards, probably not quite as good. But it's I'm, Gordon Hayward. I mean, he's like a few inches taller. He's a legit forward who had more defensive versatility. And like, I think he had a, he was pretty athletic before his injuries. Like he was, that's I think what opened up his game so much more. Like he was a great spot up shooter and stuff. And he was great with the ball. He kind of was like Canard where he just kept getting better every year. But he, I mean, he was capable of like running a pick and like snaking the pick and roll, faking out the big man, then going and like dunking on someone. Like, I think he had a little bit more creativity in his game, a little more athleticism, and just being taller just allowed him to do those things. But I think Kennard could be the better. I mean, I think he is the better shooter. Like, I think Kennard like won't be able to do some of the other things that uh, Gordon Hayward could do, but while also being like a maybe even like significantly better shooter, especially in today's game where Gordon Hayward was shooting probably a lot more mid-rangers in his prime, whereas, um, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure Kennard has a pretty analytically sound profile. Yeah, and I'll just say I agree with you. I think Hayward is a little more athletic. He's probably better on defense, a little more versatile. Um, but, yeah, Kennard, I just wanted to add, he was actually in the 90th percentile for assist rate among wings. So, like, I actually do like his playmaking quite a bit. He averaged, like, over four assists a game in only, like, 31 minutes. But, like you keep saying, it's a pretty small sample. And I don't think he could quite top out to, like, Gordon Hayward. But, I mean, Hayward has got, like, got, like, a max deal. So, I don't know, maybe four years, like, around 15 million could end up looking really good in two years from now. But it, yeah. it seems, like, on the high side. I think... If Kennard gets off of that this summer, it's just there's too much risk for him to not sign that. Just injury risk, the risk that he's the sample size was like kind of too small and he's not the, that good of a player. Economy risk, like I just, I think he's got to sign four for sixty five. He's offered that. That's a just too many like just yeah. different ways where well, things could go wrong for him. Well, maybe they can actually find an agreement if. Detroit is dreaming on him. Probably not if, if they were looking to trade him last year. But if it was like four for 55, maybe they'd be a sweet spot for both team, both the team and the player. But I, yeah, they'll probably wait. They'll probably with, wait. With all that being said, too, like how I was just saying, he should definitely sign that. Four for 55 is probably enough for me to at least second guess as Kennard. I probably would still advise him to sign that as his agent. But 
and especially too considering the cap might not is like likely not going to continue to rise like something we'll touch on in later pods like we're probably going to adjust our cap figures like there's like i mean the cap was looking at some significant rises coming up and that's probably not happening anymore so canard i mean four for 55 sounds a little better like now compared to what it was because the thought behind some of these deals that we've talked about in the just even even in our past pods is like yeah, this is, it seems like a lot, but when the cap rises seven or eight million, that's like looking at that. I mean, that's hurts you just that much less. Like, yeah, fifteen million dollar deals might seem like a lot, but if the cap continues to rise, like fifteen million might not even be average starter money. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, I think four fifty five is something that'd be pretty. I'd still lean towards advising him to sign that as his agent. I think, but yeah, it gets pretty close. Yeah, that's super interesting how we have to recalibrate if it starts, the cap starts dipping by five-ish million a year instead of rising because that all that all that adds up for sure. Yeah, um, the last thing I have on Detroit is we can touch on it really fast, something we've kind of talked about in the past. I think this would be a good um, team for DeRozan if San Antonio was willing to just give him for nothing and uh, free agency didn't pan out for them. I think that would make a lot of sense actually. Yeah, uh, I think I agree. I think I have talked myself into DeRozan this offseason for the first time in my life. Um, yeah. But yeah, they have the space. It's only one year. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, that's all I have. Uh, yeah, I think predictions-wise, I mean, I think they kind of take her out similar to what we said. I'd see them sign like one vet or so and then maybe just signing like one young guy to eat up the rest of the money or just re-signing like Galloway to – a deal with some money behind that. Oh, I mean, I guess they don't have to worry about eating up the money because once they, if they don't do anything, like they only sign one guy, like once they sign Wood, that'll get them probably above the cap floor. Yeah. I I have re-signed Christian Wood, like I mentioned a bunch of times. I think they'll, I think they will offer him probably the most money and I think that they'll be able to retain him for all the stuff we already talked about. I think they'll probably bring back Galloway, and then like all those minimum guys like Spee, Bruce Brown. Um, but yeah, I think they'll try to get one impact player. I I don't know if they will be able to. It's obviously anyone's guess whether a free agent actually wants to choose them as their destination. But I think that they'll get somebody for over $10 million a year. Like somebody that has a real chance of being an impact player. And and yeah, they'll roll most of, their, most of what they got pinned down already yeah all right we have some questions for both teams yes so i'll rope in both teams um i first one is just i don't think we explicitly said it would you rather be cleveland or detroit in the drummond sweepstakes do you want cap space or do you want drummond detroit no i'll take cap space yeah even what, what if they don't get anybody of note still yeah still yeah just the optionality and the fact that Drummond is not seemingly a winning player that puts him over the edge. Yeah. All right, that's fair. Uh, so jumping back to the Cavs a little bit. So or, George, actually, hold on. I have one question that I completely forgot to bring up uh, for you, and it probably requires discussion, but we'll, we're gonna do it as quick as possible. Who has more yeah. trade value, Kevin Love or Andre Drummond? 
Well, I know for you, you would say Drummond because love is so. Uh, it's three years. The three years things is so toxic. I think oh, it would hold depend. On, no, hold on. I completely messed up. That was not the question. It was uh, Blake Griffin <laughs> or Kevin Love. Okay, that, that is a different question. Yeah. Uh, who has more trade value? Yeah. Love goes one year longer. Uh, Blake Griffin's higher. I think Griffin. I think Griffin is better. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and less of like a liability on one end. Whereas like a like a playoff team would maybe see Love as borderline unplayable for more than like seventeen minutes a night. Whereas Griffin, I don't think is going to be unplayable on pretty much any roster. Yeah, agreed. Okay, cool. I knocked down out of the park. So. <laughs> Back to the Cavs. So if George Hill makes the free throw uh, in the boneheaded JR moment in game one of 2018, how many games do you think that series would go between the grit, maybe the best team ever Warriors against the Cavs? Because also remember, LeBron is probably not fracturing his hand, allegedly fracturing his hand in the locker room uh-huh. if they win that game. Yeah. And LeBron literally played maybe his best game of his career. I mean, he has so many to choose from, but scored 50 in the finals and he was just controlling literally everything. So a fully healthy LeBron and a motivated Cavs, they stole a game on the road. How many games is this series go? I'm going five. five? And to, yep. And to quote LeBron, he basically broke his hand when he pulls out the cast the cast after the series ended. Uh, I love when part of my take references that. They're pretty funny about that. Um, but no, so I'm actually I'm on about that niche free throw. Like people freak out about that. No, Jr. was not in a position to score. I don't think on that rebound. Like I don't think that was that boneheaded. I mean, yes. Yeah, Bone, so boneheaded, not known the situation, but I don't think it was that impact. Like, I think best case you're looking at like a 20% chance to like still put the a score from the position he had the ball in, or even just kicking it out to LeBron to throw up a last minute shot. Like this clock was very low. He had a shot blocker right in front of him. Like, I don't think that uh, he messed up too much with that. Do you think he had a better chance of scoring by shooting or by dribbling out to half court like he was ending the game? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think he did the best possible outcome. Okay, I think 20% has got to be low. I mean, he's literally three feet away from the hoop with the rock. You can draw a foul or gag up some awkward layup that's better 20%. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe I need to go watch the film again. But I know at the time and every replay I've seen, I was... Did not think he had too much of an opportunity to score as it is. But anyway. I mean, JR doesn't even like open shots. He could have done like a dribble fadeaway that he would have preferred to like an open shot anyway. Very oh. true. I think that they get another game. I think it goes six. Even though I will say that I was on the record saying, I mean, this isn't that fancy, but that the Warriors would just crush them because they were so good and they had an insanely gross amount of talent on their team. But I think if they win game one on the road, then you, I don't know, then you, I think that they steal one more. You're you're on the record. Where where can we find this record? Is it uh, somewhere in the database? I would probably have to call my mobile provider and pull text messages to my idiot friends. But I like it. Anyway. All right. The we're next not one. flying through these questions. <laughs> no, we're not. Sorry. The So the Cavs won the first overall pick three out of four years. Do you think that uh, you should be ineligible from winning this often? So they won back-to-back, then they won three out of four. Do you think if you um, win that you should only be eligible, say, for third or for second? 
Uh, I don't know. Probably not. I feel like that just gets really weird, like, rule-wise. It's kind of... And then also just the fact that they won one year with a pick that wasn't even their own. It was the Clipper pick, so I think that kind of changes it. Like, you don't want to penalize them for acquiring a pick, and that ends up being number one, but then they're not allowed to have it. Like, I fit that. Yeah, I mean, I hear you, but you said you don't want to make it too weird. Uh, let's be honest, they are drawing ping pong balls to decide to decide 18 and 19 year old's fate for the next seven seasons or whatever. If they sign, fair up. point. Very so fair. I think point. it's already pretty weird. I don't. I think that like, I just think that you. It's such a ran. It's literally a lottery, the most random thing ever. I don't think a team should just be gifted like their choice, their number one choice, like three out of four seasons. That seems a little crazy to me, but it is a good point about the Clippers pick got him Kyrie, so it wasn't like their pick won all of them. But I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind some stipulations on it. Um, then lastly for the Cavs, do you think that they should have chosen? Instead of Garland last year, so like doubling up on point guards, you probably will say you don't care. But like, do you think they should have taken either Reddish or Culver instead of Garland? Both you can go from skill or from position angle. Um, I mean, in hindsight, yeah, I depth because I mean I'm high on Reddish and um, probably would have had a little more offense freedom there too. So maybe even he could have became a little more than what he is. And then Culver, uh, just looking at potential uh fit on that rush that desperately needed defender maybe he maybe i mean that could have been the ideal role for him where he has a few vets around him to help him but he gets to be your second ball handler on offense and maybe you could try to groom him into being like second ball handler and primary defender so yeah i mean i think both those picks probably would, would have turned out better oh no, that's the thing. yeah or, or that's in hindsight now but at the moment um no, because I mean I think Garland. There's still like there are some people who are really high on his potential. Yeah. Like the way he was like working pick and roll, pulling up from deep, and I mean that might still be there. So yeah, at the moment probably not. Okay, uh, moving slightly on to the Pistons. So people were pretty low on the Pistons getting Blake. So looking back on that deal, do you think it's still bad, or do you think it's bad? So Tobias Harris probably leaves anyway but if he doesn't he's way overpaid so he got a max deal and he's probably on a negative contract right now they also gave up Boban who I mean Boban is Boban he's exciting but he's probably not really an asset and then the first round pick they gave up did become Miles Bridges so that one hurts a little bit which was traded for SGA yeah I was about to say which wasn't that SGA yeah Uh, but but, but you can't really assume the Pistons would have done the same well I mean I guess it's looking at um would you have rather had the up, like, I, f- I think it was pretty consensus, though, that SGA at that point, like, he has already slipped a little bit. I think, I think most people had him going, like, a little higher. Like, I don't think he was making it out of the lottery, and I think that pick was 12. So, I mean, I think I, looking at it now, like, they got one playoff run out of it that they got absolutely destroyed, and Blake Griffin wasn't even healthy enough to play in. I mean, a little bit of potential for this year and maybe next year or next year and the year after that. But um, I don't know. I feel like maybe grabbing one more player towards the rebuild would have been more beneficial than maybe if they would have done that, they were looking at like two years from now being able to actually put together like a pretty decent roster. So I think I'd kind of lean towards having that opportunity to rebuild. Yeah. So I think if they would have lottery protected that pick, so then they keep that Bridges slash SGA pick and maybe have it give it up in 19 that – 
it would look a lot better because yeah, I mean maybe the maybe the Clippers wouldn't have gone for that, but I think it would look a lot better because that's what the one you are really angry about. You're not really so upset about Tobias Harris being gone, yeah. right? No. All right, uh, the Pistons, I would argue, is probably the last team to win without, like, a superstar on their team to win a title the year with, like, Phillips, Hamilton, Prince, Wallace's. Do you think that this will happen again, or do you think it's just a, such a star-driven league now? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's probably a little too star-driven. Like, I just can't see, especially at the rate offense has gone, like, I can't see teams without stars being able to produce that type of offense. Do you think any – so I wrote down a couple of teams. Do you think that any of these teams would be similar to that this year? So, like, Toronto, they don't really have a superstar, but they have a lot of solid players. Lowry, you could argue, is sort of Billups-like. Uh, Siakam might be better than, like, the best Piston, but I don't know. Do you, like, Toronto has some chance to win it this year, right? You would say they don't have a superstar? Yeah, but I also don't know if I'd say they have too much of a chance to win it. Really? You think yeah. they have not, not the second-best chance coming out of the East? I mean, I think that's a tough discussion. Yeah, I might Boston, lean, Philly. I might leave Boston, and then Philly in the playoffs. Like, I mean, there's, I still think Philly's more talented, so they might be able to just randomly put it together and out talent them. And then also the West, looking at like three or four legit teams. So I don't know how much I actually consider Toronto to be a contender. I mean, I mean, maybe even. If they make the finals, I can't see them winning, too. So I think it'd be crazy for them to make the finals and then even insanely crazier for them to win it. So, And, like, Toronto, like, how much better can a team get without a superstar than what Toronto is this year? So, Yeah, no, I just thought that they were kind of the perfect sort of template. Like, they're just yeah. really solid across the board, but they probably don't have the, the guy to bring them over the top. Yeah. And I think that's about it. Yeah. Do you have any surprise questions for me? No, I hit you with my only one that I butchered. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's true. I think we've talked enough about Cleveland and Detroit for one night. Yeah, no, I, actually, it was more interesting than I expected it to be. But... Yeah, somehow we went crazy long. <laughs> oh, well, that shouldn't yeah. be a surprise at this point. Yeah, true. All right, so yeah, that's all I got. You got anything else? Nope, I think the only thing is I think we're down to three of the eliminated teams left, and so we're slowly churning towards relevant teams, although who knows yeah. if all, all those 22 teams probably aren't quite relevant, but we're almost yeah. done with the teams that are out and done. And then we might try and mix in another mini-pod coming soon. We've got some interesting topics we've discussed. Uh, Thedraftclass.com is starting to get back going with some more things. You can check that out. Follow us on Twitter, and we will talk to you next time.